everybody and welcome to the Agency Secrets Podcast, episode 3. Uh, today we are uh, with a very special guest, uh, Mr. Sander Stage. He has been in the space for over four years, is a very esteemed uh, professional in the space of SMMA. If you work in the space of SMMA, you know who he is. And um, this is our first in real life podcast. We've moved up in the world, yeah. thankfully, Hermes. And, uh, you know, uh, we... We thought an in real life podcast would be a bit of a treat for you guys. We could uh, show you a bit more, and uh, this will be also much easier to use in clips, etc. Um, I'm going to let Sander introduce himself, um, and uh, yeah, let's get on with it. Yeah, first of all, uh, thank you for inviting me on the podcast. I've been actively no looking to jump on more podcasts as of late, obviously, with the whole trend and TikTok clips. It's yeah. pretty beneficial to just sit down and talk for two hours, share your viewpoints, yeah. and then you can cut it up. Um, so I was in uh, London just on a quick three-day trip with my mother, actually, and uh, and I believe you texted me, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, asking me to jump on a pod, and so that was perfect uh, occasion. As you said, I'm I'm Sander Stage. I've been in the the agency space for a while now, um, four or five years. Uh, I've been running a social media marketing agency for uh, for that time and working with clients globally. Um, you know, 30, 40 clients from all over the world, uh, mainly the Western world, obviously Europe, Canada, Australia, US, uh, yeah. and mainly e-commerce clients. But we also work with sort of bigger businesses like hotel chains and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I've been in this space for a while. I've been working with different amounts of clients, sometimes five clients, sometimes 15 clients. Now we've sort of been uh, ramping down a little bit and, and focusing more on, on the educational program. Um, but yeah, as you said, been in this space for a while. Amazing, amazing. Well, that's good to hear. And, uh, you know, we would traditionally, you know, on previous podcasts, what we've done is we've traditionally stuck to topic. We've stuck very much to agency. Um, but in this podcast, we kind of wanted to have a bit of more of a lengthy one. And uh, we wanted to also talk about subjects that are not just relating to SMA, but also about lifestyle, lifestyle, girls. how to treat your money, girls, yeah. etc. So, um, yeah, um, we'll just get you know, straight into it. Uh, we'll just ask a pretty simple question to start off and get it going. Yeah, yeah. Um, start off, you know, when, how old are you? When did you start seeing money? How was your sort of introduction into that background? Because everyone has a story. Yeah, yeah obviously. Um, so we're in October now. I turned uh, 21 back in July, so a couple months ago. Um, I got into the agency space when I just turned 17, um, just after starting traditional high school. Uh, for the second time, um, quickly found out traditional high school, traditional education was not for me and that I wanted something different out of life. And uh, so three weeks after starting the high school, living in a boarding school, I started my agency uh, and, and signed my first client rapidly after that, like just a couple weeks uh, on a $5,400 contract. And uh, how, did, how did you come across SMMA? Yeah, that's a good question. So before I started my agency, I had been dabbling with different online business models like Shopify dropshipping, yeah. obviously, and, and that had given me an introduction into selling online, marketing online. And so I had kind of, kind of gathered that skill set of, of marketing products online profitably, but I didn't feel like I was creating any value with that business model uh, on a world view. Uh, long shipping durations, low quality products, just not delivering any value to anyone. So I thought, how can I use this skill set that I've gathered in marketing products to actually create some value? And so I thought, okay, if I can do this for businesses that actually sell a product that I like, then I'm putting a smile on their face and I'm getting out a good product to more customers that will benefit from it. And so that was sort of my idea. It's very interesting you touched on dropshipping. That was almost the exact same story that I had when I was coming into marketing because you realize that you can do all of the things that you like to do. For example, I personally always enjoyed that sort of space without having the hassle of you know dealing. And you can always 
be sort of like a behind the scenes yeah. figure in all of it. Um, so in boarding school, you were how old? I just turned 17 when I just started. Just turned yeah. 17. Yeah, so okay. that's pretty late for your first year of high school. Absolutely. That's, I think that's partly due to the fact that you start a little bit later in, in Denmark than you do uh, in other parts of the world. Uh, usually start like 16, 17, but I had tried a different high school the year prior, mm-hmm. dropped out of that, and then I started for the second time around. Oh, and you had to start again? I had to start over, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and you grew up in Denmark? I grew up in Denmark, in Copenhagen. Um, yeah, I've been there almost all my life. Obviously, now I, I reside in Milan, Italy. Um, just because I like the city. I, I think the Italian culture is great. Um, yeah. People care about what they do. It's an old-fashioned culture. It's it's not as forward as what you'll find in many states in the U.S. or Dubai. It's not like an entrepreneur country. It's yeah. very, very old-fashioned, but I really enjoy living there because mm. of the sort of traditional values that are there. And how is the younger sort of culture there? Is it mostly old money? And Yeah, it is. It's yeah. it's very old money, uh, and, and, and the, the young culture is, is not nice. I mean, if, if, you, if you like to sort of hang out and, and party with young people, Italy is not a place for you. It's a very sort of authoritarian culture where the older you are, the more authority you have, and, and the younger you are, the, the less you're listened to. Oh, interesting. And yeah. have you ever met anyone that's come from your sort of background in terms of, you know, coming to money? I don't know if your family comes to, comes from money, but as in you've sort of built yourself, mm. have you come into contact with anyone over there that has done the same sort of things as you in that sort of age range? Mm, just a few people, very, very few. And, and, and the ones I've met are sort of 26, 27, so a little bit older than me. Uh, obviously, I'm 21. But my best friends over there, uh, which we're talking about people with, with money, it's it's actually people with very, very old money. I have one of my best friends in Italy, like he comes from, from one of Milan's richest families. Like they have billions in, in the multiples and some of the most valuable properties around town. Um, so, so I know those type of people and, but, but they're very humble. They're very, very down to earth. They don't show off. It's, it's, yeah. it's very, very classy. And how do you find, um, sort of not fitting in, I apologize for using that, that sort of description, but, uh, I hope you understand my meaning by that, where in terms of old money and new money, mm-hmm. when you compare the two, you can very easily tell the difference. Um, so, you know, when you were first starting out, in terms of making friends or making mm. connections with those sort of people, I'm sure you had to stature yourself in a different way, you know, create your, create your mannerisms differently. Um, how did you sort of come across? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, uh, you, you briefly touched on it before. Like, I, I don't come from money. Just to, to make that clear, I grew up with, with nothing. I mean, um, I, I always state that I'm, I'm very thankful for sort of the upbringing that my dad gave me because even though we had nothing, maybe he, he had $100 to his name, he would go in overdraft just so we could, you know, go on skiing vacations and stuff like that. So he really spent everything he had just to give me a good childhood, and that's something I'm very, very appreciative of. Yeah. Um, but neither my mom or my dad had money growing up, um, but but they were always good at sort of teaching me manners. Um, so so even though we didn't have money, I, I sort of, I think I was brought up with, with the culture and the stature of, of a person that could fit into high society, and so... That's something I'm, I'm grateful for too. When it comes to meeting these people, yeah, I, I guess it's about not looking too new money. I mean, you, you look at me, I, I look sort of old money. That's right, why I, asked, I couldn't tell. Yeah. Yeah. I, look, I, look, I have a traditional style. Uh, I, I, I think I also have a very Italian influence style, a very European style. Um, but, you know, it, it, I wouldn't have met those people, those old money people and those good friends that I have in Milan. I, I wouldn't have been acquainted with them if I had looked very new money with logos all over my body. It's... Is something that comes with sort of class and, and minimalism and, and, and just looking low-key. 
Absolutely. I mean, yeah, some some people like yeah. like it differently. I mean, for, we're personally in you know in a sort of different yeah. space yeah. where yeah, in this 100%. city it's completely different. Yeah. You know, the more you know designer or whatever you have on your body, the more people look at you, etc. But in, in terms of you know, there's also a limit to that as well. People do kind of get cringed out by too much. But you mm. know, London's becoming a way where. Uh, clubbing isn't about clubbing anymore. Clubbing is more about how much you spend on a table. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And people might say it's always been like that. It hasn't. In these last couple of years, especially now where a lot of people are losing, especially now when there's a bigger recession, yep. you know, flexing has become a lot more apparent. And, um, you know, that's sort of the difference and the main thing I see, you know, because that's why I asked you. You know, I I couldn't tell. I completely couldn't tell by if you come from money, if you don't come from money. I couldn't understand that part of you, which now I do. Uh, but it's very impressive how how you come across and um, how that uh, sort of works. How you know you say you come from nothing in terms of monthly, you know, yearly, whatever. What's your sort of biggest client range? How much are you doing monthly, especially in this rough period for businesses? Yeah. Um, how is your agency doing? Yeah, in terms of agency life, obviously I have two main businesses, the agency and then the educational program. Uh, in terms of agency, our revenues peaked around six months ago um, and, and now they're, they've are they fallen drastically, not because uh, of, of circumstances, but actually because we've dropped off clients because we want to focus more time on, on the educational program. Interesting. So sort of the, the biggest clients we've worked with have paid us retainers in the range of 20 to 30,000 euros a month. The euro and the dollar are virtually the same now, so that's... 30k euro uh 30k dollars has been like our biggest client hotel chain can't really mention the name because of yeah. ndas and stuff um but but we've had like many many clients in the, in the range paying 15 to 50 uh, 5 to 15000 that's sort of our standard range and it's been like that for a while um so when when our sort of revenues peaked 6 months ago we're between 80 to 100000 uh per month profit revenue profit more so on the 80 mm-hmm. uh a month side 6 months ago now we're much closer to like 30 to 50 uh, because we've dropped off quite a few clients. So 30 to 50, um, I would say 40 uh, profit a month on the agency side. And then um, on the educational program, we're doing around 200 revenue. Uh, and yeah, on the best month, we've done 150K profit with that. Oh. So together, um, if I would sort of say our average profit in the last six months, we're somewhere between 150 to 180 per month profit wise and to revenue wise over 200 a month. Amazing. And you say you were, you're focusing more on quality than quantity and, and, and we see that very dominantly um, nowadays. People are doing that a lot more, especially with people that have, you know, businesses alongside that and they can afford to focus on more yeah. quality. Um, would you do, now how many clients are you running with that uh, 30 to 50 a month that you mentioned? Four anything? clients now. Four clients, perfect. Yeah. And um, is it just you, or I'm sure you have others? Yeah. So, so I have, I have, I mean, a chief marketing officer, and and then um, actually also throughout the peak when we're working with like 12 clients, it was just chief marketing officer and then a media buyer, um, and they would together manage all the ad accounts and ad spends. Uh, and it's the same two people I still have working, even though we've drastically decreased the revenue. Um, their salaries are still more than covered in what we make um so yeah and and what did your agency specialize in google facebook we've always been specializing in, in facebook ads mm-hmm. um and that's where sort of our our spe- yeah, specialty lies we spend uh, more than 20 million dollars on, on facebook ads wow. across all our clients and have you ever looked into tiktok ads or google any anything else or yeah absolutely um so our first entry into like 
Google or YouTube ads was with the educational program. And then we saw the power in that, uh, started offering that to a few clients. Uh, but it's not something we usually offer. It's it's only if the client profile sort of fits yeah. uh, YouTube ads. And uh, TikTok ads is something we're just getting into. And then we've offered to one client that we're experimenting with. Okay. Uh, in in terms of a Sanders stage work day, what are we talking here? You wake up at what time? How long do you spend working? How does it sort of work? Yeah, uh, it varies a lot. I wouldn't say I've had one specific routine for the last three years. Um, obviously, when I was starting out, much more strict routine. It would be waking up like 6.30 every day. Uh, this is when I was boarding school and I was starting the agency. 6.30, wake up, uh, straight down to the gym in the basement. Uh, you know, it smells like usual basement down there. <laughs> 6.30, wake up, straight to the gym, then up having uh, sort of breakfast in the common area uh, and then back to the room doing some meditation and then headed out for the first class. And then if I had sort of a, a lunch break or got off early or started late, then I would be doing cold calling, sending emails and outreach and stuff like that. So it was like working in every single possible minute of the day. Today, when 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 we're at the point, when I'm at the point that I'm at with the business, I have people taking care of pretty much everything in the business. It gives you a lot more leverage to sort of manage your time, and so I wouldn't say I have such a, a strict routine today. Um, but but when it comes to work, I do it more in phases, right? So it's not like a twelve-month, uh, seven-day structure, a seven-day week structure. It's more sort of a, okay. I'll take two months now where I work very intensively, seven days a week, no weekends, uh, twelve, fourteen-hour workdays. I'll do that for four to eight weeks. And in that space, I can get the same amount of work done that most people do in 12 months. And then I'll take two, three months off after that. Yeah. Okay. And and in, do, and, and in doing outreach back then, um, you were doing it yourself, et cetera. Now, yeah. is yeah. it more time just word of mouth, people talking to each other? Or Absolutely. Do you still outreach? Absolutely. We haven't been doing any outreach for like more than 18 months. Yeah. Okay. And you, you dabbled a bit on meditation. How do you still meditate? How do you yeah. get into it? Yeah, so meditation, I definitely would like give a lot of my sort of achievements or, or predicate a lot to meditation. Uh, it's helped me out a lot. Um, I, I sort of had a new reflection on, on meditation recently, which is I believe it's it's sort of a way for atheists to pray um, because I, I think prayer, consistent prayer, can give you a lot of the same benefits that meditation give you. Um, but 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 when you meditate, you don't pray to God. I mean, it's, it's something you do inside of yourself. Um, but I think the benefits are very, very similar. Um, so just like I believe praying, if you're religious, can give you so many benefits uh, for you and those around you, I believe meditation can give you the same thing because it it gives your brain the space it needs to sort of reflect on a deeper level of, of where you're going and, and, and yeah, finding out and, and making sure that you're on the right path. And that's, Whereas, uh, there's a very fine line between an atheist and an, um, someone who's agnostic. Yeah. Would you consider completely no God no higher power, nothing? Or do you have that sort of yeah. back in the belief, you know, maybe there is something, you know? It, it's, a, it's a very relevant question also, especially for me, because it's, it's something, it's, it's, it, these are thoughts I dabble with every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always sort of classified myself in, as an atheist without any sort of deeper beliefs in, in God or anything. But especially recently, I've, I've had these reflections where, you know, before I would be, uh, I would be saying, I don't understand how anybody can believe in God. I, I just don't get it. How, how can people believe that there's something up there? How can they believe there's a, a higher power? I, I'm starting to understand it more, not not from my own perspective, not that I'm starting to, to move towards that direction, but I'm starting to see why people believe in it and also especially the, the benefits that it can give to people. Um, now that I've been in entrepreneurship for uh, a range of years, 
it can get hard sometimes, especially when you're you're by yourself. Yeah, I have my employees, but I'm at the top of the company and it's it's my journey, right? Yeah. And it can get really, really lonely, even mm-hmm. though on Instagram you see the girls around me, you see the friends around me, you see spending money, all of these things. At the end of the day, it's just yourself when you're in bed. And unless mm-hmm. there's a girl by your side, but at the, at most of the time it's going to be yourself yeah. and it can get super, super lonely. And so I can definitely see the the benefit to believing that there's a God because then you're not walking by yourself. You have God on your shoulders. Maybe you can even tell yourself that you've been put on earth by God to carry out the agenda that he has given you. And so if you have that that God-given agenda and you have him on your shoulder, then you're not walking alone and you'll not be lonely and you won't become complacent because you're carrying out an agenda that you've been given. And I can see the beauty in that. However, I, I, I'm still not at the point where I can believe in it. That's an amazing point. And um, <coughs> I, I completely agree. Uh, they say ignorance is bliss. And unfortunately, the reason... I don't, I, I agree with you is because I have that exact same thought as you where I think, well, like if I'm thinking about this and I already know this, then what, like, do I really believe in a creator if I'm just doing this just to be not lonely? Mm. It's like making a fictional friend in my head, sure. you know? So it's like um, people who are ignorant to that and people who already believe in a God or, you know, something like that. And they don't even think that far into it. Yeah. I'm, I'm very much, I'm very much envious of those um people with those beliefs but regardless um you know as someone who meditates and as someone who um you know thinks about my i i think about my goals on sort of a daily basis there was there was a point in my life where i'd go into the shower and every time steam would come up i would like write down my goal in the mm. steam just mm. i don't know why every time for like solid six months and um you know i, I completely agree on on the sort of praying to your I don't know, yourself sort of thing, yeah. your own brain. Do you believe in, I hate to say it, astrology or attracting? Yeah, okay. So I, I believe, uh, for example, in, in let's, let's call it the law of attraction, right? But but I don't believe it as a higher power. I believe it as sort of chemistry that goes on in your own brain. And so that's why I believe meditation is, is very beneficial to us. And that's why I also can see the benefit in writing down your goals and esteem from the shower. Because during our daily life, there's so many distractions and so many directions and paths towards which we can go. And if you don't let your brain collect your thoughts and your goals every single day, then you're just going to walk through it like a labyrinth with, with no idea where you're going. But if you give your brain that, that mind space 15 to 30 minutes a day to collect your thoughts, to collect your goals through meditation or through a shower in a deep sort of state of focus, then you're, 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 you're setting yourself on the right path towards going towards your goals. And so, so yeah... When it comes to astrology, um, I, I regard it a little bit like religion also. I, I, I feel strongly, I have strong opinions on religion, I have strong opinions on astrology, not as much. But for me, it's, it's all man-written. For me, it's, it's all written by, by men in books, on pages. And I can see a lot of truth to it. And I can see so many valuable points being given out in the Bible or in the Quran or in your horoscope. There's a lot of positive sides to it. But as you say, I, I think it's bliss, right? So I, I think it's it's things that people choose to believe in and they may be better off by believing in that because that'll carry them, them through their day with a purpose. But but there's stages to, to all reflections, right? And so if you only reflect on that blissful level, yeah, you might be better off. You, you might walk happily through life and carry out your purpose. But if you have that capacity to go to a deeper level of reflection, yeah, it may be tougher, but at least you're seeking the truth. Something that you touched on, complacency, burning out mm. and feeling very lonely, uh, well, 
I mean, you didn't put it in those words, but I can completely understand what you're saying. Um, Do you struggle with sort of burning out very often? Do you struggle with complacency? Have you found any strategies that have, you know, carried you through? Um, Would you, you know, recommend any tips to anyone who's, you know, starting out, made their first, you know, you know, when you have that first very good month or, you know, you, mm. you do very well in a month and then you're like, okay, this is going to carry on being like this. You alternate here and there, but you don't go over the full way. And then the next month, it kind of goes down and down. So, you know, I would call that sort of burning out or getting complacent. Mm. Um, and, you know, I've gone through that sort of situation multiple times now, yeah. so I know how to come past it. But, you know, what have you learned that... Um, has helped you yeah i mean complacency is a tough one for entrepreneurs i think it really comes down to what your purpose is i mean i, I can confidently say that i started my online business out of desperation right i needed the money i needed to become financially independent so i could get my own place buy my own food take out my girls etc like that was where it all started desperation and so once you reach a, a certain threshold where you're past that comfortability level of, of, of financial success where you can do all those things and you have a def- decent level of savings if you don't have a deeper purpose, then you'll become complacent at that point because now you've achieved what you were working for. So as soon as you start seeing any sort of financial success, you should quite rapidly start looking towards your purpose because if you don't find it, then you will sort of get burned out or get complacent once you reach financial com- like, yeah, complacency or stability. Amazing. And the, the problem I have with the purpose sort of thing, mm. point is um, you start thinking about is this purpose worth the purpose sort of thing you know so if the purpose is taking out your girls for example which by the way we're going to touch on further on into the video um you know is that is that purpose sort of worth it when people are out there you know struggling to eat do you know what i'm saying so it becomes a sort of situation where like i think to myself right well i have this purpose which is just Mm -hmm. getting rich which I need to do, absolutely. But at the same time, I'm living a comfortable life now. I can chill out, you know, and then it becomes sort of that sort of complacency level. The thing I see very common with most successful entrepreneurs um, is this sort of mindset doesn't even, that that sort of doubt doesn't even come into their head. Are you that sort of person where it just doesn't ever come in? No, no, I'm absolutely not. And I think that goes back to the point of like being blissful, right? Like, like some people, they'll, they'll just have their, their superficial purpose that might be getting rich or carrying out their purpose, but they'll stay at like a level one. And so it's super easy for them to go through the walks of life because they don't have those deeper thoughts or reflections that will make them doubt. Um, But I'm definitely not that type of person. I I have the exact same thoughts and, and that makes it difficult sometimes. Very interesting. Girls. Mm. <laughs> right. Um, uh, now, you touched on your girls. Um, you know, we're going to ask a few controversial questions, a bit, 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 you know, TikTok worthy, uh, you may say. Um, you know, women are a funny topic, especially when it comes to money and money and having money and, you know, becoming a high value man and uh, having more uh, money to take your women out, etc. Sure. And obviously, you know, women have more to offer. You know, there's a there's a lot there's a lot of things on the internet now that talk about, you know, women just having one thing to offer, and that that being, yeah. you know, looks or sex, looks or sex. Yeah. And um, you know, me personally, I I, I disagree. Mm. Um, I do understand where a lot of 
you know, for example, let's say Andrew Tate's, st- you know, statements sure. come from, where he comes from in terms of masculinity, portraying the old views of masculinity, how a woman should never pay. Mm. Um, I agree with all of that stuff. But in terms of women having nothing to offer in this world except for sex, I completely disagree. What's your views as sort of dating in Milan or, you know, dating in your life? And do you have a girlfriend? So- yeah, I mean, it's a very deep topic. There's so many aspects we can touch on in this topic. Uh, I'm 21 now. I've I've been in relationships almost nonstop, like since the day I started my agency, pretty much. Uh, back in boarding school, I met my first serious girlfriend. We were together for two, two and a half years. Uh, and then pretty much right after leaving her, I met my now ex-girlfriend. And we were together for a year and a half. Uh, and, and we broke up just a few months ago at the beginning of the summer. And then since then, I have met another girl. Um... And and I'm still trying to figure out what what sort of my 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 purpose with relationships is because I'm I'm very sort of ultimate in all situations of life, meaning that I I can't accept being in a relationship if I know that there like if I if I don't think that potentially this could be the forever, mm-hmm. right? If if I don't feel like potentially whatever relationship I might be in could be the forever, the woman I get married to, the woman I have kids with, then I'll just break up immediately because I need for there to be that. That, poten- that potential um, and so it's difficult because now I'm 21 and, and as I said I, have, I've, I haven't been single since I was 17 I haven't I pretty much haven't been single since I saw financial success and obviously that's something any man in my situation would love to try right um, but I just keep meeting these these great girls and <laughs> it's difficult you know I, I keep meeting these, these amazing amazing girls and, and and yeah, coming back to the point, which is what do girls or, or women have to to offer in in this world? Um, it, it's definitely not just sex. It's definitely not just their looks. Um, and I think that's a very depressing way to go about life. Is if that's what you believe. Yeah. And yeah, about this this whole masculinity debate, uh, the demand providing. Um, I mean, lately the, the the past girls I've been dating have been Russian, right, or, or Belarusian. Very very down to those masculine very very and so before i met my now ex-girlfriend i didn't know that culture at all because my 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 ex-ex-girlfriend that i was with for the longest time she was she was danish and she had very scandinavian uh, values which is the direct opposite of of what the russian or traditional ones would be scandinavian is, is probably the most egalitarian sort of place you'll find on earth where there's the most equality between men and women and oh wow it's so so normal for women to pay in restaurants right so my ex-ex-girlfriend, she would always ins- insist on paying. And if I had been paying too much, like, she just wouldn't let me pull out her card, like, physically, like, no, pull out my card. She wouldn't let me, like, physically, she would stop my hand from paying. And so meeting my now ex-girlfriend, who was, who was who is Russian or Belarusian, uh, I quickly learned, like, a different set of values, which is the more Russian and the more traditional one. And I've come to enjoy it. I've come to enjoy being that that traditional man. Uh, who pays for everything? Who gives expensive gifts? Who pays for the vacations? It gives you a voice. It, it gives. Sorry, it blocks out their voice in terms of yeah, uh, you know. And so and so yeah. On that on that topic, uh, it gives you authority in the relationship and it gives you leverage, right? And so for the past year, that's something I've believed to be extremely cool to have that authority and that leverage. But 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 now I've, I've actually very recently I've come to realize that this doesn't solve your personal problems. Like it's actually a way of tuning out your personal problems and your own insecurities by paying your way out of that and by letting your money give you leverage in a relationship to tune out your partner's voice and to give yourself more authority and a bigger voice. It's a primitive way of, of going about a relationship in my opinion. Uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a way of not dealing with, with your own problems and insecurities. 
And so, yeah, my, my opinions are changing on this subject because, yeah, yeah, if you had asked me six months ago, I would have said, yeah, I'm very much in tune with the Andrew Tate opinion and, and the traditional masculine values. And to a large extent, I still am. But I just don't think you should let that money give you, be, be the only reason that you have leverage in your, in your, in your relationship because who are, you to, who are you to deserve that? Absolutely. <clears throat> and I, I completely, uh, well, I understand your point. Uh, you know, my, my, my girlfriend's Spanish and she mm. also has those very, you know, Eastern European Russian oh, yeah? sort of values okay. um, where it's more time the man should pay, the woman should sort of exercise her beauty, her, you know, whatever else there may be. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I, I agree in terms of there's more than money that gives you authority in a relationship. But I think that money has a almost crucial 95% role in that authority that you have over a woman. Now, I've seen guys without money and I've seen girls that pay. Um, I've seen the guys have that authority regardless due to the person that they are and mm. the mannerisms that mm. they hold and the way that they you know, talk to a woman or the, the way that they have that control over the woman, which me personally, in, in my mind, if I'm, you know, control not controlling but if you know i like to be very um in charge in charge mm. of how my how my how my woman works and how she what she does and you know how she acts around me or my friends so um you know when i'm being in charge i also want to always have that in the back of my head that i'm paying you know so in terms of it gives me a stature mm. where it can't just be achieved through tricking my own mind into thinking I'm the authoritative figure. Yeah, yeah, but why do you need that justification and why do you need to have that control, right? I, I see it, I understand it, and I, I exercise this very much in my own relationships. I also want that control, but now I'm, I'm starting to, to think, why? Why do we need this control? And, and, and why does it need to be through money? Ah, it's, it's, I don't know if it feels right, man. I don't know if it feels right. I'm, I'm, and, and this is obviously not the, the, the TikTok uh, viral content worthy because. There's all these guys out there that want to say top G and <laughs> and I just hired a team now to make to make TikToks for me and uh, and yeah they posted a video yesterday that went viral it got over a million views which I know is not that much for people but for me we just got started so it's a lot and it's one of those videos talking about you know how to get girls and all these things um, but yeah why why do we need to exercise how about how about we women? give a little couple of flash words so that we clickbait people into this how about we talk a little bit about yeah nah, it's fine we won't but uh, I'm sure you know people on TikTok they, they, they're not what I find with the TikTok audience especially in the sort of you know alpha male mindset mm. um, every time a trend comes in the beginning a lot of people mm. are very you know oblivious to this sort of side of things but as trends come and go people become a lot more aware of the more mature way of thinking about this yeah so for example in the first sort of alpha stage it was yeah. always yeah top g i pay whatever sure. but now people are starting to understand more you know women do have their you know you, you know a, a woman brought you into this world yeah. you know a woman is women are the most precious things on this planet um but you need but in my eyes control over your girlfriend slash your wife or whatever it may be, is very important in a man's relationship with a woman. Yeah, I, I think it, it comes down to the fact that uh, it's it's more fun if you know that you would have the same amount of control without the money, right? Uh, and so that's why it's always beautiful if you can come up with a girl when you're broke and then get rich while that's you're it. with her because then she, you know she loved you regardless. And yeah. so that's something I've been struggling with in my newer relationships because with my first girlfriend, when she met me, like that was just before starting my agency, I was broke. 
and we were together for two and a half years and gradually I, I got you know very financially comfortable while I was with her but I know I, I knew how much she loved me before I had money and so maybe I should have stayed with her because for me it's gonna be impossible to prove like any girl I meet now it's gonna be impossible for me to ever prove that she would have loved me without my money and without the things I have I mean I see how quickly girls fall in love with me now it's like this I have one conversation with them we have one date and they're ready to get married it's like that it's crazy and this is I can guarantee you with 100% it wouldn't have been like that if I didn't have the things I do I mean I take her to my my apartment it's seven rooms I have a kitchen that's worth a hundred thousand I have a uh, I have a the most beautiful living room in all of Milan I have watches worth hundreds of thousands I have you know the, the jewelry that these girls dream of and they they look at my wrists they look at me I'm not a bad looking guy and they look at my apartment like this is what I want right and so now I, I feel more seen through than ever I feel more lonely than ever even though I have more girls, girls than ever it's it's a more lonely existence because I don't feel appreciated for who I am. And uh, so, would you would you say, after coming into money, would you the type of girls do you look at? Would you go for more wealthier girls, come from wealthy families, or you're not really that phased since they've seen the lifestyle, they know. Yeah. What a, you know. Yeah, I I think of maybe I've been lucky or, or I don't know why I've met the, the right girls. Um, but I have met some 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 very good girls, especially the, the last two. Uh, no, all of them. Um, but, but the, the last two they, they came from. <laughs> uh, let, me, let me rephrase that. Uh, <laughs> that's funny, is it? Um, no, no, no. I mean, I mean, uh, especially the last two. They they come from money. Uh, from from sort of old Russian money and stuff. And and my ex girlfriend, she she had an uh, like Mercedes AMG when I had no car. You know, so we'd always be driving around in her car and stuff. So, mm. yeah. so that was pretty cool. You know, I knew she, I, she wasn't too easy to impress with all the things I had because she had tried it before with her family and stuff. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, yeah. when 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 they know what money is and they've seen these things and they're not too easy to impress. Yeah. Because, well, yeah. It's interesting you say that because yes, like we talk about this a lot. It's it's good to have a girl who who knows how to act around these people, but also, like I know. Tate talks about it a lot, but given girls their first experience, if you take yeah. a girl to Dubai and she's, oh, I know that hotel, I've been there, da da da. Me personally, not as exciting. I'd rather take a girl who's never seen any yeah. stuff before mm. and show her this whole world. Yeah, for me, I agree on that. To like, it's it's really fun being the one that shapes a girl's world, yeah. but I also think it's very toxic because I've very personally toxic. seen it. Uh, I've personally seen the way that I've shown girls the world and the way that they fall in love like that. And sometimes I can be very, uh, I can be very, very present with a girl uh, and give her the whole world, uh, and then I can leave in a second. And if you're the person to show her the world and and to show her yeah. the life she could live, and you leave like that, like I've seen girls go very, very deep into their mind and and go to yeah. a very, very dark state of mind, mm -hmm. you know, where 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 they're talking about suicide and and very, very deep things, because they they get so attached because they wouldn't have had it, they don't have these things without you. Mm -hmm. So you have to be careful what you show girls and, and how you shape them or groom them or whatever you want to call it uh, if you're not serious about it. Mm. Yeah. Well, well, you know, <laughs> um, you know, Iman touched on that point as well. And I, I, uh, I think that I, I do agree in terms of... But me personally, my girlfriend, it works in a way where she's sort of already seen all of this stuff yeah. and the point where he said you know she's already been to this hotel she's mm. already done the most extravagant holiday etc um i kind of find it as a sort of drive to work harder mm. as in yeah. as in you know like I, she's already seen it 
And but she's already seen, you know. Obviously, there's a cap to what she's seen. You know, she's not. Yeah. She's not seen. You know, I want to get harder than that. I want to drive around in a Rolls Royce. Mm. You know, I want to take her to places she's never been before. So I think it f- makes it a bit more challenging with women that have never seen a lifestyle like that before. You yeah, can but do I think much easier things that impress you. Exactly. With, with those, I mean, of course, it's fun surprising a girl and showing her things that she's never seen before. But it's it's fun. Just like wrapping up a present is fun. Like uh, um, unwrapping a present is fun. It's like that moment of surprise and that moment of dopamine rush, right? That's fun, but it, that's level one, right? Level two is, is being appreciated and having a deeper sense of meaning with what you do. And so with these girls that have already experienced all these things, they're not as easy to impress. And I think that's a good thing because that level one stage of impression, like of, of, of imp- like being impressed and being surprised, it's not worth a lot. It's very temporary. It's like a couple seconds and they're used to it. Now you got to step it up to get that same level of excitement again. And it's very temporary. Like it lasts a few seconds or a few minutes and, and then it's over and then, okay, what's next? So if you're with a girl that has already experienced all those things and she doesn't get that easily impressed, but she's still with you, that probably means that she likes you for who you are and not for the surprises you can give her in the temporary moments. Okay. So I think that's a good thing. On the topic of spoiling women, do you believe that you, um, as a man, are entitled to um, sex yeah. after spoiling? Okay. Yeah, that, that's a good one. That's a very good one. I, I don't. So, so on a very basic level, I don't. But uh, I still catch myself being very disappointed if I don't get it, and I feel like I've, I've provided a lot of, of sort of surprises or, or being like spo- spoiling a girl a lot. Like I'll give you an example. I just came back from uh, I came from Paris yesterday, right? I was in Paris in a beautiful apartment in the most expensive uh, area of of Paris, like a five bedroom uh, apartment. It was me and five girls living in this apartment, right? I took them to the most expensive restaurants. I probably spent fifteen twenty thousand on a weekend whoa, with whoa, five girls whoa, in Paris. Let's go back. Just you, yeah. Five girls. The yeah. only guy in the yeah. apartment, and five women, yeah. Let's yeah. continue. So, so me and five girls in this apartment, in beautiful apartment in Paris, spent fifteen, twenty thousand on a single weekend with them. Took them to the most beautiful places. Uh, it was the girl's birthday, uh, so we we were at this like Lavenue, which is a very fancy cafe uh, right next to where we were living. Lots of posh, rich people sitting at this cafe. We have a table, six people, me and the five girls. Uh, I had bought her like a beautiful pair of um, boots from Jimmy Choo. They're like two thousand or something. Um, for her birthday. So we're sitting there having the birthday breakfast at the cafe. I have a driver pull up in like a Mercedes S-Class limousine with the with the bag in the in the trunk. He steps out with the bag, holds it like this. I go and take it with a cigarette in my mouth, looking all cool. <laughs> take the bag, hand it to her. All these rich people at the restaurant are just looking at like, you know, what kid? is going on? Who's this kid? I, I look young, you know, I, I look young even for my age. And, and you're sitting around billionaires and obviously I'm not a billionaire, but the, like I can see even all the wives of these older uh, billionaire men they're like i want that that's what i want you know uh so that was pretty fun and obviously if you're able to spoil a girl on on to that level where she feels like a princess you're gonna expect sex right you're gonna expect uh to get back um because for us i mean sex is so important and i think it's much less important for a lot of women um and so what what i think it comes down to is not that i deserve sex for what i did I think it comes down to the fact that we should respect as animals or as two different genders, we should respect each other's needs, right? And so just like she has the need to feel like a princess, like I treated her like, I have the need for sex. And so it's not like, 
oh, you know, giving me back for what I did. It's, it's actually respecting my need because I'll get frustrated if I don't have sex for a long time. Like, as an animal, you get what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, sorry, just to go back on the five women and yeah. just you, are you, is one of those women your girlfriend or are you sleeping with all those women? No, so exclusive with one of them. Right, yeah. okay. And have you ever had an open relationship before where you sleep with more than one woman? No. She knows about it? Um, I haven't, but uh, I've I've uh, I've expressed um, in my past relationship the fact that that's probably what I wanted uh, long term, and the fact that maybe I wouldn't be able to stay uh, sort of loyal to one girl, and so I I sort of initiated the breakup because I was like, okay, if I can't stay loyal, then maybe I should break up, but then I also sort of um, directed the conversation towards the open relationship and towards you know insinuating that maybe that's what I wanted, and she was completely open to that. She said, "Oh wow." Uh, you know, if that's what it takes for us, for you and I to be in a relationship together, uh, then that's I'm willing to do that. And that made me feel a, a very strange way, right? Because uh, that, that made me feel, again, like maybe uh, I was being appreciative for what I have and not for who I am. Because if she would be okay with, like this is a girl that I showed the world, you know. Yeah, no, she gave day. a really good response. She fucked you up with that response, right? She, she, she said the most perfect thing she could have said in a position. She went, no, no, fuck you, whatever. It would have been very bad. But the thing that she said she completely put you into this dilemma where in your, your own head you're like oh shit like exactly you know, uh, yeah. exactly I've started doubting myself so much after she actually agreed to that because then what it is I'm providing it's, it's the world right it's, it's all these things if you're okay with me running around fucking other girls which yeah is what I want but if you're okay with it where does that put me and you you know what I mean yeah. and was it one way? Did she get to? Sp- no, no, no. It was it was only me that would be allowed to to be with other women, and she would stay loyal to me. Yeah. Would you still be open to that? Yeah, I would. I would. Um, okay. Hopefully, the girlfriend's not watching this. Yeah, uh, this is yeah. This is uh, it's a complicated topic. <laughs> Let's put it like that. Topic. Yeah. No. I mean, um, with really, really beautiful women mm. who come from wealthy families, which I'm sure is all three of our tastes um in women uh they they feel much more exclusive and they always feel very privileged mm. and and they they have they feel like they have the right you know they 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 should be your one and only which and i'm i'm content with my girlfriend mm. in that in that manner if she's watching this i need to <laughs> but i feel very content not as in i genuinely do and i i genuinely can understand that but do you think that you can um have sex with more than one woman, one woman, and still love that one woman. Yeah, I absolutely do believe that, and and I think this comes. Uh, this uh, some, more of the alpha guys are gonna appreciate this or, or enjoy this, but one thing I absolutely do believe to be true is is the bio- biology, which is for men. You know, having sex is like a biological need, and 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 we don't necessarily uh, involve feelings when we have sex, and I think it's a completely different sort of thing for women. Uh, they involve a lot of feelings every time they have sex. And so for us, it's just a need. And like, I can fuck a girl right now and not know her name and not think about her two minutes after. Like, she'll just be out of my life. Women can't really do that. And if they can, then we can discuss how healthy they are. I'm sorry. And uh, it's interesting. As a guy, you, uh, majority of guys don't care. They can sleep with, with another girl whilst having a girlfriend. But to me, I'd feel, if you're truly in love with your girlfriend... Mm you'd feel you wouldn't want to hurt her feelings. Like, you want to protect her and make sure she's happy 100% of the time and sleeping with other girls. For me, I would argue there's no way a girl is truly, whether she says is a different story, but I, I don't reckon a girl is truly 100% okay with their partner sleeping with other girls. Because girls are very, like, 
they they don't understand how men have sex. They don't understand yeah, yeah. this feel because I completely understand. Yeah. Uh, it's it's completely emotionless of us. But they they have a genuine like soul tie yeah, or attachment like with a guy when yeah. they, when they have sex, especially if they're virgins. Um which you know is another topic we could get onto. Yeah. Um I mean we can also talk about sort of the, there's there there may be different stages to a relationship, you know. Uh when you're first meeting each other, there's no reason that you would do you want to adjust or anything? No, just the Red Bull that I was I was about to. Ah, your one? Yeah, yeah, this, yeah, there's another one. Sorry, my bad. It's no, no worries. So we can we can argue that there's different stages to a relationship, right? Like at the initial stage, let's call that one year or even five years, uh, when you've just met each other. You know, you should have a very strong attraction, and so as long as you have that very strong initial attraction, there's no reason that you would be with other people. But after a certain amount of time in a relationship, that may be five or ten years maybe after you get married or if you have children, it turns into less of attraction and more of teamwork, right? Now you're a team and it's you and I against the world, right? We create this team and this is us forever. And I'm 100% sure that that attraction is going to fade when you reach that stage for biological reasons. And so at that stage, you can, you can, you can sort of have a new discussion or a new type of conversation about what sex means to, to us as people. And so, you know, Civilization is, is evolving rapidly and, and all of this sort of faith to each other and and the way couples are acting now, it's 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 moving rapidly and, 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 and it's we're we're talking about a couple hundred years where it's really been changing, right? Like if, if you go just a couple hundred years back, like wives of, of wealthy men knew that they were fucking other women. Like they knew and they accepted that. But a lot of them would still say that they would, you know, prefer not to know maybe what their man did. And that's something I, I get, but I don't agree with. Like, I also have a lot of female friends now who say, if my if my boyfriend or if my husband is cheating on me, like, that's okay as long as I don't know it. And and that's a very difficult pill for me to swallow because I think honesty is everything, right? I think yeah. the only bad part about cheating is if you're lying about it. Like, if, if you have an agreement, then, then it's not cheating anymore and then it's not bad because you're being honest. The bad part about cheating is, is not being upfront about it. And so I can't understand these women who say, okay, he can cheat as much as he wants as long as I don't know it. Mm. What do you mean? You're okay with being manipulated and brainwashed? Yeah. What do you mean by that? I guess if you're okay, like if you're okay with that, as long as he's not telling you, you should flip that and say, you're okay with it if he's telling you. Mm. Like you're okay with having, if you know it's happening, wouldn't you prefer to at least be open about it? Absolutely. I mean, women are very emotional creatures and, yeah. and, and their, their emotional intelligence is arguably higher than men's. Sure. And um, they can understand this um, idea of being ignorant to something and would be better off for them. And, you know, they could sleep more peacefully at night or have sex with you easier uh, at night. Um, another topic I wanted to get to, because I find it very common amongst young males who uh, have sort of money, Um if, for example, tomorrow your woman got pregnant, how would you go about it? Would you say, no, if she wanted to keep it, if she was, for example, I don't know, Christian or she was pro-life or whatever, she wanted to 100% keep it, how would you go about it? Would you say, okay, fine, let's um, bring this I child mean, into the world? We, we'd obviously have to have uh, you know, a very long conversation about it. And I would respect her opinion very, very much. I mean, what I would say is, I don't feel entirely ready for it right now because, uh, not because I don't feel developed as a person. Yeah, sure, I'm going to develop a lot more in the next 10 years, but emotionally, I do feel ready to have children. I, I feel I feel developed enough. I'm ready to do that. I can take care of them. I have the financial means so that we don't need to worry about their upbringing, their education, etc. 
So I'm ready for it on a financial level. I also feel like I'm ready for it on a personal level, but just the amount of sort of focus I'll have to put into my business over the next five, 10 years wouldn't allow me to be very, very present. Um, you could argue that, and, and I, to, to a large extent, agree with the fact that in the first couple of years of a children's life, that the, the mother's presence is much more important than the father's. And so if she, she argued that she would stay with the, the kid at home and, and raise it until it was five or and until I had sort of completed the, the main tasks I needed to in my business and then I could have a more prevalent sort of father's role after that, I would listen to it. And if that's what she wanted, I would probably be ready to have a child now. Um, but but I would argue for the fact that I should probably wait five years because I want to have my first children around 26, 27. A thought that I wanted to get from you because I um, think about this a lot um, and I, I believe that when people argue against my, this point, it, it, I find it weird. Um, me personally, I, I don't come from the best relationship in terms of my parents, you know, they, they, and, and I think that majority, if not 100% of the reasoning behind that was money. Um and uh, maybe this is because of my upbringing. Maybe I'm a very arrogant or ignorant person for thinking this. Uh, but I believe that money is probably the most essential and most important part of any marriage in terms of a bad financial situation uh, will always, if not 90% of the time, result in a divorce due to you know many reasons such as you know, w women always like to be with men that are excelling yeah, yeah. and they're ambitious yeah. and they're going up in the in in life. Yeah, and when that man's going down, they don't, the, they don't want. I it. think that's such an interesting point. I mean, coming back to some of my friends, right? I know, uh, I know, I have, I have friends that are in relationships where I'm like, I know both the girl and the guy. Uh, for, I have these friends where the the man might come from an extremely wealthy family, right? Might have everything. Um, but not a lot of ambition because it's old money, right? There's a couple of billion in the bank account, nothing to work for, no ambition. And I see, you know, in these situations, I see that the girl is not very attracted to the man because what a woman really wants more than like finance and wealth is a man that has ambition and has drive and is going up. Like I, I've seen girls, you know, cheat on, on very, very wealthy sort of husbands or boyfriends, even like just because they didn't have ambition because they, they don't feel attraction to that man just because they ha he has money. They feel attraction to the man because he has ambition and drive and goals and vision. That's what women want, much more so than wealth from the beginning. Um, so that's an interesting point. Uh, yeah. Uh, going back to the question, uh, what do you think about financial uh, uh, marriages, mm -hmm. you know, key component being the finances? Yeah. No, yeah, I, I think that the, the, the key components are the teamwork, uh, the strong bond between the two partners, and then the, the fact that the man has ambition and drive and sort of relentless work pursuit towards the goals and towards the, the common benefit of the family. And I believe that as long as he has that and he works relentlessly towards providing a good life for the family, then the, the marriage can stay intact, no matter if they're rich or not rich or wealthy or not wealthy. As long as there is that constant drive towards the top and towards a better life, then I think it's good. Uh, and then I think that the marriage can stay intact and be very, very happy. Um, but if there's no money and there, like the, the, the ambition is lost or the man gives up on providing a better life, then the woman will leave him. And she should. And, and she should. She and should. So, I don't know about you, but me and Issa have this conversation quite a lot. To my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong, you like a girl, sit at home, a trophy girl, sit at home, look nice, look pretty, stand there, and you can come back to you after you're done working. Da, da, da. 
for me, I like someone that's got their thing going, doing their thing, working. So for you, would you say you like a girl that works and has her path in life or do you, are you more of like a trophy girl? You like, you do your thing. Yeah, I, I think that's why the whole subject of the open relationships is incredibly like uh, interesting for, for us men, for us aspiring and ambitious men that are, you know, aiming towards a very high level of wealth. Because I, I kind of want the best of both worlds, right? Like, let, let's take an example, more traditional example of like Trump, uh, Donald Trump and his like ex-wife, I think her name is Ivana Trump, right? Yeah. She like, after they got into a relationship, she quickly uh, proved herself to be a mastermind in business as well. And so she was managing multiple of Donald Trump's like hotels and casinos. And she started taking a big, big role in his business. But as that started happening and as she got busy with that, he obviously lost sort of his sense of attraction for her. He started fucking other girls uh, and, and eventually there was a divorce, right? And so I think that the, the woman that I really choose to share everything with, have children with uh, and, and, and build the rest of my life with, it has to be a woman of intelligence and of strong opinions and a woman that has the capacity to manage, right? Because I want to be sure also that the mother of my children is going to be able to arrange all the things that children need, like, you know, schools, schedules, meetings, college interviews, all of those things. I want a woman that can take care of that. And so she, if she's just a trophy wife, she might be too stupid to take care of that. I think the the <laughs> way he said that was a bit weird. I, I, my, my belief is that women should not work. Um, I think that the work that they should be doing mm. is managing, as you said, my household, my children. Yeah. I don't believe that a woman should be waking up at 9 a.m. and going to work. I just don't believe that that yeah, should be a Yeah, I agree with that. But if we should say that in a, in a way that's more politically correct today, which I don't care about, actually, to be honest, but if we should say that to say that maybe in a way that more people can understand or more feminist or, or women empowerment right. people can understand, then here's what I'll say. I don't believe it's right that both partners in relationship are working. So if you're a, a, a man with incredibly feminine traits and you find a wife with incredibly masculine traits, then sure, if, if she can make money and she can work all day and you can stay home and take care of the kids. Right. No, 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 but I'm saying like, go for it. I couldn't. I yeah. couldn't. I have yeah, masculine yeah. traits. Yeah, I, yeah, want yeah, a, yeah. I want 100. a female with, with feminine traits that will be a mother for my children and that she's not going to work. But if you want to flip the script, if you're a feminine man and you want to find a masculine wife, if you want to flip the script and stay at home as a man, go for it. You, you see, but my point is, I just don't think it's right that both partners in a relationship are working nine to five or working all day because what about the children? What about the relationship? You're going to forget the children, you're going to forget each other and you're going to get divorced because you're both caught up with your work all day. So at least one of the partners should not be working and one guy or one woman can bring in the bread. That's a great get point. My point. And you completely politically corrected my, my uh, what I wanted to say. Me personally, regardless, I, I, I yeah, as you say, I, I could never yeah. um, sit at home. And I'm on the I'm, same page. Yeah, I, I know people who can do that and I just find yeah. it very um, humiliating in a way. You know, as, as uh, you know, we, we, I'm sure you've seen the statistics, as, as a generation now, um, you know, with with the things that we have, you know, porn, you know, the amount of, you know, games, videos, stuff that, you know, just lowers men's testosterone levels, mm. how they move, how how they act. Like, I see so many guys, like, that are so happy to be in a feminine position just for a quick fuck, you know, ju just to have that sort of, like, you know, and, and you know, suit yourself, do whatever you want to yeah. do, but don't let that be a thing just because you're just driven by your you know your, your your animal instinct to fuck or yeah. to have sex you know what i'm saying yeah. so it's like it's like um uh g going back to what you said you know i i i i think that in terms of 
who we are, men, we have that animal instinct to have mm. sex, but higher value men will always prefer having that dinner, yeah. having that, you know, talk or keeping that stature of themselves mm. intact before they go to have sex. Because me personally, for example, I can't fuck in a dirty room. I don't know what it is, but it's just a genuine problem that I have. I can't right. have sex in a dirty room or I can't have sex in a ugly position or a weird position right. because it, it just doesn't let me do my thing i just can't get into it properly unless i'm at a nice place or something like that um so you know but some men they're just okay with lower standards and, and I, I mean i wouldn't care about that i could fuck in the most dirty public toilet <laughs> in like some uh, drug uh, addicts yeah you know? of course i, I mean it's different it's completely yeah. different yeah I, I was i was the thing is i was like that since a kid you know I, i'd see kids going to like fucking mcdonald's or whatever like in in year seven and eight yeah. and like people like hanging around mcdonald's you know doing stuff and i would never be able to do that like i would just never be able to do it and i don't know where it comes from i just have that base mindset in my head of every single day i'm thinking fuck i can't become normal mm. yeah but i mean touching on on, on being normal versus i'm and, and talking touching on on all these these subjects that are being discussed now in our society and on tiktok and, and in this masculine and yeah these environments is like and and about these feminine men men that are okay with uh, with low testosterone levels or easy fucks and not building something of higher value it's, it's always been like that you know the, the the exceptional men have always been rare uh and and so let's not forget that i mean all these things that we're talking about about alpha mentality and about open relationships about being able to demand this authority and this leverage in a relationship with a woman you can only get these things if you are indeed exceptional like if you're bringing home a low amount of money and you can't provide a dream life for your children and woman, you should never ever ask her for these things because what leverage do you have? Why would you be able to ask for these things? And so people just sitting and watching these TikToks, not making a lot of money, being in a standard relationship, like if, if they go to their girlfriend tomorrow after watching some Tate clip or a clip from this, if they go to their girlfriend and say, oh, I want an, an open relationship because I'm a man and I have <laughs> a lot of ways things uh, and you shouldn't have the instinct to fuck other guys because... You are a female and, and <laughs> everything you do is about emotions. And for me, it's just about sex. Like You can't have that conversation if you're not bringing a lot of fucking money and giving her exceptional things and being an exceptional man. So the, the keyboard warriors out there commenting on these posts like, oh, top G, you know? Yeah, but like, why would you why would you celebrate some top G if you're not a top G? Like, Absolutely. what are you, a pussy? You know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah, no. My, my, and and that, once again, going back to my base point, money controls, you know, you said you know money you know why i have a voice but i i genuinely believe that money is almost 95% control of every relationship whether it's whether it's a marriage whether it's a relationship like yeah. that because it gives the man the voice it gives the man the authority whether you want it to or not you as you say uh, uh, you can't go to your woman and yeah. demand you know a certain sex position that yeah. you may like just because she loves her yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah i know what you're saying and and that's why i think it's a very nuanced topic and especially sort of my 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 latest reflection as topic i've been very nuanced because i want these things in my relationship to be implicit what i mean by that is yeah i want the money and the things i provide i want them to give me leverage and to give them the things that i want but I don't want it to be at a point where if I'm not getting enough sex, then I have to take the conversation with my woman about it. I don't want to have to tell her like, look, I'm providing for all these things, so I need sex. I want it to be implicit. I want it to be very natural. So if I have to have that conversation and say, hey, I'm paying for all these things, give me sex. No, then I'm done. Like if I have to have that conversation, no, then the relationship is over. then she's over. not the one if you have to have that conversation. Yeah, everything should be implicit. You know what I mean? And Absolutely. if you can get to that point where it's implicit and, and you're both providing for each other's needs, 
uh, then I think it can be a healthy relationship. And so touching on touching on paying for things, me and Nisa had this conversation at dinner once. Uh, for example, if your girlfriend wanted to get her nails done, um, do you think you should pay for them? Her father, she should pay for them? Would you like... As a gift, I could understand, but would you week or however often they get their nails done? Would you week and week on end pay for your girl's nails? Well, if we're under the mentality which we are that only one partner in the relationship should be working and bringing home the money, and in our opinion that is the man. If somebody thinks that's the woman, that's okay. But in our situation, we believe that the man should be working and the woman should be taking of those taking care of of other side of, types of things like the family. Well, who's she doing the nails for? Me. She's doing the nails for that's you. The whole point. Uh, she's not doing it to impress other guys. Hopefully. Uh, and so if she's doing it for you, obviously she should be paying. Why should she be paying for her nails from her own pocket? No fucking way. Absolutely. That that is exact. That is exactly what I told him. Said that. It's like, yeah. It's like we're debating and we're telling. In the in more. the conversation, the it came about. A certain girl said, it, "Like expected it from which for me personally, if a girl expected me to just pay for her nails, I personally would find that rude." Obviously, I, I wouldn't. I'm not paying for your nails. Why should I do that? Of course, I. But pay she's for not nails. my boy, is she? She's my girlfriend. She's yeah. my woman. She's and, providing the most. And that's what I mean about it being implicit, because mm. I would never allow my girl to come and ask me for money to pay for her nails. If my girl tells me, "Oh, I have a nail appointment tomorrow," I'll say, "How much is it?" And I'll give her the cash or give her my card so she can pay for it. If it's serious enough, I'll just give her a debit or a credit card that she can use to spend on everything. Like I did for my mother, I gave my mother a card that she can pay f- use to pay for anything in her life. If I'm serious enough with a girl, I'll give her a card as well because it needs to be implicit. I don't want her to ask me for money every time she's going to make her nails or her hair or do some beauty-related stuff, which she does for me. It should be implicit that I'm paying for those things. Exactly, and that, that's exactly the, the point. In terms of... Do you, sorry for asking this. Do you speak to your father that much? Because you, you seem to have a much more uh, closer, emo- relationship, closer with mother, relationship with yeah. your mother. Um, I think uh, I talk to my father probably more than my mother, but we always talk on a more strategic level mm-hmm. uh, and we have like teamwork. Like if, I, if there's a deep, either philosophical topic or something more in terms of business, if there's something deep I want to talk about, I call my dad because like we can have a conversation for three hours and talk things through. Yeah. And he's a very well-reflected man. But my mother, it's it's more on that emotional side. So yeah, if there's some small girl problems, I'll talk to her. That's beautiful. And um, in terms of taking care of your family and taking care of your mother, uh, how do you go about that? Do you know, like, what, you know, in your recent success, you know, how, what have you sort of done for your family? Do you have any, you know, younger siblings that you that look up to you? And um, you know, yeah, in terms of that, I think family is a, is a sensitive topic uh, to talk on. Um, but I mean, all I can say is I've I've been able to give and lend out like fifty to a hundred thousand uh, for for people that needed it. That was great. Uh, and then, as I said, for my mother, I've given her a card that she can use to pay for anything. Uh, and and so recently, actually, I, I I came to the conclusion that like I was spending too much money on girls and stuff like that, and things that really didn't provide me value. Only like these girls that I was paying for. And I felt bad about that because I was like, yeah, I have, I've given my mom a card, but it's not like she's spending viciously on it. So I thought, okay, if I'm spending all this money on girls, I should be able to at least give my mother the same, if not more than that. So now when I spend a lot on girls, I'll just like put the same amount extra on my mom's card and like call her and say, okay, this now I've just put 2000 on your card, just put 5000 on your card because I spend all this money on these <laughs> girls. So like here's 5000 or 2000 go buy yourself something nice. Because like there's an amount on that card she can use to pay for. Yeah, if she goes to the beauty salon or if she goes grocery shopping or if she wants a pair of shoes, sure. 
but sometimes I'll add a couple extra grand so she can go and buy something really nice. Yeah, and it's and it's easier on your you know conscious as well. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. that you know yeah, uh, yeah. That's very uh, important. And that's crazy, as I said, like spending fifteen twenty k on a weekend in Paris for me and five girls. Like I do that, like if if it was loose cash, like I don't care about it. But then I have to think like what my mother would do if I just gave her 20k like that's a lot of money for her she could she could take it like a month of vacation on a five-star hotel with that kind of money and so I'm like oh, I just spent 15 20,000 on three days in Paris with five girls now nah, I gotta give at least the same to my mother you know absolutely I mean? oh, uh, it's very um uh, you know would you there's certain things in in my life especially as well where you know certain things i can spend on very easily without even thinking twice and then you realize like the the value of money changes i think there's a there's a word for this effect i don't know what that word is i read it in a book where as you go higher as as your priorities go higher your your expenditures or your your mentality your your men, your yeah. mental being open to those expenditures goes lower yeah so you know i've I, you know i've spent a lot of money on women as well, which I now wish that I would have spent on, you know, family or my Your mother or whoever, like that, yeah. which, you know, as young men, regardless, we're going to yeah. make those mistakes. And the, the most key part and the most essential part and becoming learning. a high value is learning from it's it. Is learning from yeah. it, exactly. I mean, the, it's you can't really listen to even a person who has the same opinion of you if he hasn't tried both sides of the spectrum. Like, it's so much easier to learn and understand somebody who has tried both things, right? So now we can sort of make our opinion on that because we've tried it. We, but we wouldn't be able to unless we had made that mistake. Let's take a, I, I gotta take a piss, let's take a quick break. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Agency Superiors podcast. We always stand the stage, we've come back from a little break. Uh, we've been going for about an hour now. Um, and we've touched on money, we've touched on your introduction, we've touched on women, we've touched on family. Uh, I wanna get into a bit more, uh, you know, controversial sort of topics such as you know mental health uh you know drugs drugs you know a higher society you know oh, stuff yeah. like that um now i hope you feel comfortable talking about yeah, these sort yeah. of topics maybe we should like uh, just determine like a keyword for the the v thing yeah mm. uh, uh the, the, the vx the vx yeah oh, the VX. i and hope what everyone about, knows what about the c word the c word um let's just call the c word yeah, yeah. Or C19. C19. C19, sure. Yeah, yeah, okay. C19 and VX. Okay. C19 and VX. Everyone picked yeah, up if, what if, that means. Everyone understands. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, got, you got to understand that if you're watching this podcast. But um, yeah, first question I just would like to ask do you use any, you know, methods that aren't very, you know, just meditation, etc.? Do you use drugs? Do you use weed? I don't know, Adderall. I see that very common with people uh, who like to work, work, work. Um, is there any sort of, you know... Mm, no, in my work life, no. Don't use anything. I mean, me and my friends, we started experimenting with drugs at a very early age. I mean, by 15, I tried most things. Uh, oh, is it? Interesting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I mean, weed smoking and all of that started at like 13, 14, and I would do that you know, regularly with my friends back then. Um, but for me, it got boring very quickly. So sort of after a year of, of that, I was like done, but... Some of the friends that I started smoking with back then, they're still smoking every single day to this day. And I just don't understand why it's still that interesting for them. Um, but at, at the end of the day, it becomes more lifestyle uh, and it becomes more reality than being sober, right? Uh, I, I don't find it interesting. In terms of drugs, I've, I've tried what, I mean, I've tried a lot of things. I've tried uh, Coke, Ecstasy, uh, MDMA, LSD, mushrooms. I've tried these things uh, multiple shrooms. times. Yeah. How was that? Very, very fun. Um, 
LSD I've, I've done twice and that's been under like more quiet circumstances uh, where you actually had the, the ability to reflect. Uh, the first time was in a boarding school, uh, actually in my boarding school room with one friend, very tight room, uh, crazy two guys being on acid in a small room in a boarding uh, school, knowing like if I peeked out the door and there was a teacher, mm. like I would get kicked I, out I immediately. I would fuck up my high so bad. Yeah, it was a little bit, it was it was a little bit of paranoia, but but anyway, it was fun, you know. Um, so and I did that twice. Mushrooms I tried actually for the first time quite recently. Um, when I was in Bali and that was on a completely different circumstance. It wasn't, you know, reflection wise. We, we took them, I took them with a friend and we went with a big group of people to a, to a club, which was like an outside club by the ocean. Mm. There was a full moon shining down in the water. So you had like the full moon beam. Oh, uh, there was moonlight moon, passing. Moonlight on, on the water, the moon. And, and then uh, this club was like, in my mind, because I was in Schumer, it was like a big private ship, pi- pirate ship. <laughs> when I when I came back like a week just, later, I realized okay, it was just like a regular <laughs> club, but it was super fun. And what, what I would um, personally, I would never. I, when I do drugs, so you know, I've only ever touched weed. But uh, in any situation where I would touch a drug, or in a situation where I would be out of touch with my sense of reality and out of touch with my control, which is my main thing, uh, I have to have a very serious like safety sort of nest where i know i'm safe in my head because Mm. i know i'll play tricks on my own mind and start thinking fuck was i you know was i thinking that you know out of paranoia what's gonna happen now what's this what's that because i'm more time an anxious person um so i would never i would never have the balls to do that you know do shrooms and go to a club but uh in denmark or in eastern europe is that much more common as in doing drugs at a younger age and hard drugs in, in particular um i don't know about eastern europe actually uh yeah, I mean, I've dated these girls, and I think the laws are more strict over there, uh, and I think they do it less. But then they'll then they'll come to Ukraine uh, to like a festival. Obviously, Ukraine is sensitive now, but like before, they would go to a festival in Ukraine yeah. or come to Europe and do drugs there. So these girls, they definitely have tried everything. Uh, and in Denmark, I would say, yeah, a lot of people have tried drugs. It's not like it is in in the Netherlands, uh, but I think you know pretty much all of Central Europe is the same when when it comes to drugs. There's a lot of it around, and you can try it if you want to. It, it depends on your persona. If 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 you feel paranoid about it, if you feel anxious about it, and if you feel like you might lose yourself in it, then I wouldn't recommend it. But if you feel okay with it, then I definitely recommend trying these things because at least sort of stuff like LSD, like that's that's something I've had very positive experiences with, and that, that I would recommend to anyone. Definitely feel like my my mind mind was altered from that, and that I could make different connections, and that I became more creative after that. So that was a really great experience, but. Stuff like cocaine, not worth it. It's it's shit, you know. It, it alters everything for the worse. Like, it just gives you a bad perception of dopamines and, and what fun is. Even afterwards? Yeah, I mean, you know, you try it once, that's fine. But, like, if you try it a couple times, like, if you if you do it too, too much, I, I know people that can't go to a party without it, you know. They mm. can't have fun without it. And that's a very dire and sad situation to be in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I find it interesting. We know a couple people... Uh, in similar positions to us where they almost need cocaine for example to to stimulate to get them back in get them back on it but would you like going on friends and people around you doing drugs mainly weed do you kind of separate for me personally I just I just can't be around weed or, or drugs or anyone that's doing that kind of stuff do you have friends that do weed if like do you separate yourself from that area? Yeah. What, do you, what do you think? Yeah, so I mean, a lot of my older friends back from back home, they, they smoke yeah. a lot. Uh, now, I'm not seeing them a lot because I moved away. I moved to a different country and, and the people I frequent now are not weed smokers and not drug takers at all. They're actually older than me. Most of my friends in my country now are like 
between 25 and 35, even older than that, some of my best friends are, you know, up in the 50s. Um, But yeah, I think it's toxic to be around. Uh, And obviously if, like, for example, as I said, when I was 15, I smoked quite a lot of weed. I've tried a lot of times. And so I'm around people that smoke weed all the time. I, I might take a hit, you know, just for fun because I'm like, okay, I haven't tried this for eight months. Let's just try try a hit and see how it feels mm-hmm. again, you know. And this, like after, it's like, ah, oh, it, it just didn't matter. You yeah. Know? So, yeah. So yeah, there's no reason to be around it also because those people usually don't have a lot of ambition. With, with negative effects and um, moving on to sort of more of a mental health topic here, um, what I realized when I smoked weed and when, when I tried it, you know, a few times is my brain um after the first time i had a very serious problem with depersonalization and disassociative oh, wow. you know disorder becoming very distant and what i find now this was when i was 15 sort of starting my work and and, and my line of work um what i find now is which is very interesting is i think it could have even helped me at that point in my life where Every statistic, everything, I don't know if you've ever experienced anything, you know, close to that, but everything for me became a sort of statistic. It was like I was playing GTA 5. I don't know if you've ever played that game, but uh, it was like, your money's this, you're this, you're this age, you're going through school, you know, you got to go home, work, do this, do that. So it was like, I was watching myself do all of these things. Like a video game. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So completely, I was just playing a game where my statistic was there. I can still very vividly remember like, you know, writing down my, you know, my worth at mm. all times. Um, and, you know, it, it could have helped me at that point, you know, stay on track. But what I realize now is it's caused some damage to my brain, which I'll never be able to get back. Yeah. Because, you know, if I get too drunk or if I drink or a little bit, uh, you know, a lot, uh, I start like, I'll be at a party and I'll start moving my hand and I'll start thinking like, wow, I'm watching my hand. Move. Like, it'll, it'll come back to me all of a sudden. I mean, serious. Yeah, it's yeah, very, yeah. it's a very serious topic, and it really fucks with your head. Um, and you know, I was wondering if you've had a negative experience like that, and if you have had any situations with drugs, because we want to very seriously talk about how you know y- your mental state is completely, you know, depending on what you do, like drug, weed or whatever. It's not that; it's your own brain. You know, like if you do weed or shrooms. You're gonna have a with both of them. You're gonna have a bad experience if your mental state is not in a good place, um, regardless of the drug that you take. But yeah. I wanted to get your views on that as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't had that many bad experiences. Um, the first thing that pops to my mind is actually when I was on my first date with one of my uh, girlfriends. Uh, it was the first night we were we were seeing each other, uh, and we got really drunk. And then, like towards the tail end, it, tail end it might have been two a.m. Uh, we like we started smoking weed, right? Um, super, super bad, and and that was actually the first time I lost control uh, physically. Never happened to me before that, even though I had drunk and smoking together many times. That was the first time I experienced anything like that, and it was because I had never in my life tried a bong. You know, I've never oh, tried that, fuck. and that was my first time. I was like, okay, whatever. I've tried weed before. It's probably the same. It's just a different way of taking it. Nah, you know, I, I we we were pretty drunk. I took one hit, um, and then. Then sort of five seconds after, I looked at my hands, and I just sort of sort of started acknowledging the fact that okay, I'm I'm really losing control right now, and then I I quite consciously realized like okay, ten seconds from now, I won't have like physical control. I I won't know how to move my body, 
And I think I did something good in that moment, which was just like acknowledging and accepting it, right? So I was like, mm. okay, in ten seconds I won't have control, so be it. And That's then the I, best thing you could have done. And then yeah. like I just kind of passed yeah. out. Yeah. I, I spent like probably four hours in the sink after that, just like half standing up and puking. Um, but I had just like acknowledged and accepted the fact that now I'm losing control. Mm-hmm. And I think like if I had feared that a lot or gotten paranoid in that moment, it could have gone very bad mentally. Absolutely. And so if you ever find yourself in that situation, try and remember this and just be like accept it and just accept that in a, some, a few hours it will be over it's going to be meant like it's going to be mental torture and hell for the next couple of hours but just accept it that's the best you can do that's a that's a beautiful way to put it and um yeah the the more time the bad experiences i have with drugs is when you're trying to escape it yeah. because um what, what the difference is between i guess i'm really too my own horn here but between an intelligent person and someone who just does coke or just does weed it's just oh yeah i got smoke whatever they don't even know about not accepting it or thinking, I'm too smart for this. I can't lose control. Yeah. You know, my brain's smarter than that. I'm smarter than that. Like, oh, yeah, fuck this. I, I've smoked a bunch of weed. I don't need to, like, think about it. I'm way too good for this. So, like, that, when you have that thought in your head, you just completely lose it. But if you accept it and you think, listen, I'm smart enough to know that I have to accept this even though I know I'm better than this. You know, it's going to take three or four hours, but I'm going to be fucked in it. Because he's, you know, Louis seen me incredibly high. Yeah. And what I try to do... Like my first experience, I swear I literally I went into a coma state for about thirty minutes where I, yeah. I literally was seeing heaven and hell and everything. I was hallucinating on weed. Um but you know, after that experience I realized, yeah, acceptance is the best key. Um speaking on mental health, that's a very popular and controversial topic. Yeah. Um that, you know, I saw a video on uh with Tate and Piers Morgan having a mm-hmm. bit on this. Um, and I think it's a good question. It's tough to answer, but you, you're very well mannered, and the way you answer questions is great. So I'm, I'm wondering your answer on this one. Do you believe that depression is is a real thing, or do you think that if you don't believe in it, you can go through it? Um, I, I I can only talk from personal experience, you know, because I don't know how the minds of other people work. Um, personally, I mean, I, I grew up with like experiencing a lot of shit at a very, very young age, uh, which sort of disconnected myself from my own consciousness or my own well-being. You know, when you're four or five years old being told, you know, fuck you by adults and you're around drug abuse and you see people get hurt and stuff like that around you, you sort of disconnect from reality and and you learn to accept like a, a bad state of being. And so I think that has carried with me throughout my life. And so for that reason, I I don't feel like I could ever become depressed because like if I approach that state or if something happens to me that would make another person depressed, quote unquote, like it just wouldn't phase me because I, I can't enter that. And that's an advantage and a disadvantage to me because there are some things that I wish I could enter consciously and feel more about, but like I just can't. Like let's say the love of my life uh, and then people will say like, oh, you haven't met the love of your life, but like I can 100% confidently say that if the love of my life leaves me in a second, I'll be okay with it. Like I'm not even going to cry. Like it's not going to phase me because I just can't get attached to those kind of emotions. I can't allow emotions to hurt me because of what I experienced. But like in terms of depression, I would say the lowest state I hit um, was like two years ago or something. Like business had been good before that, um, but there was a certain state where business dropped a lot in terms of revenue. And it was at a time when I had taken on a lot more expenses, like more expensive rent, uh, more expensive lifestyle. I had something to keep up with. Now. You trapped yourself, right? I kind of trapped myself and, and it was, yeah, suddenly the, the revenue dropped and 
like I had like a solid like two months maybe with, with like sleepless nights where I was just like so paranoid, my heart beating. Um, but I wouldn't call it depression because like the only thing that was in my mind was like, fuck, how do I get out of this? How do I work my way out of this? Yeah, obviously, how am I going to do this? By putting in work, by putting in 10, 12, 14 hour workdays, sleeping less and not blinking an eye until I'm on the right path financially again. And so from my perspective and in my position, no depression doesn't exist because if I approach that state, the only thing I'm going to think about is like, how do I work my way out of this? If I got incredibly obese, my natural thought would be, okay, I'm going to relentlessly go to the gym. If I hit a, a very bad financial situation again, my thought is going to be, I'm going to relentlessly work on my business to carry it up again so I can be financially stable. So for me personally, I believe I could always work my way out of a, a depression uh, and always sort of collect myself again. And I'm sure that there are people that don't feel like that and I feel incredibly sorry for them. But in the end, we're in the situation we're in and we're in that situation for, I believe, two main reasons. The first reason is our biology, so our predisposition in terms of intelligence, uh, our brain, the brain that we have been born with. And the second one is our upbringing because that's what shapes us, right? So you can be born an incredibly intelligent person biologically with your predisposition, but have a terrible upbringing that's going to traumatize you. Or it could be the reverse. But I think if a person feels he is paralyzed or she is paralyzed because they are quote-unquote depressed, well, it has to do with, with those two um, sort of predispositions with their predisposition, right? So their biology and their upbringing. And so I, I, I can't stay in their shoes. I don't know how, what they feel like. So who am I to say that depression doesn't exist? How could I know? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great response. Was that uh, the, you know, that time where, you know, there was like a two month period where you were losing or whatever. Uh, was that an, your first ever experience of, you know, failure or loss or anything like that? For me, mentally, yes. I mean, as I said, I experienced a lot of shit in my life, but uh, but it didn't phase me that much. I just went through it, you know? It was more emotional than serious. Yeah, so this was like the first time I had all the responsibility for my life on my shoulders and I kind of dropped down, and so that was heavy. All right, and, and it's just a random question, sorry. Uh, something that happened to me during that first sort of mm. rodeo, yeah. I don't know what to call it, um, I a thought that I had that really, really fucked my head at that time was, uh, you know those prodigy kids that always, during your childhood, yeah. you know, you see where everyone says, oh, wow, they're a genius. They're going to grow up and become the next Bill Gates or the yeah. next Steve Jobs. And when I was a kid, this is who, I, who, you know, what everyone used to call me. Okay. You know, the teachers, my dad, my mom, whoever. Like, they, they'd always, like, it would always become, like, over, like, complimenting the child yeah. or yeah. me. And did you ever have that when you were a kid? And did you, when you grew up and this failure happened to you, what happened to me was I started having this irrational, terrifying fear. And this is what really drove me to get everything back up again uh, of losing it and becoming one of those, you know, potential wasted, you know, wasted potential kids mm -hmm. that, you know, had everything and then fucked it all up. Yeah. Um, you know, were you like that? And did this fear ever come to you and and just just wondering yeah i mean i, I think the, the the reason i was able to work through it on my own and, and not be that faced yeah it felt deep but i was dealing with myself is i'm very certain with what i want uh, in terms of like career and lifestyle 
Um, meaning that I would rather like live in the back of an old car for 30 years with a laptop and, and hotspot from my phone while building a business if that's what it would take for me to reach a level of uh, sustainable level of success. Like I would rather do that than have a normal nine to five and live a comfortable life. And so knowing that and being secure about that, I could drop to a very low financial level and still be fine because I would be doing what I, what I wanted to. So, you know, at the end, you got to work through it. I think honesty is important towards those who are close to you. Uh, so you may have reached lots of financial success and then drop down. You're only going to make it more tough on yourself if you keep telling your mother and your father that you're still doing well financially. Mm-hmm. Like if you're trying to keep up that persona and that barrier that you've created, even towards your closest ones, like your family, you're going to make it a lot tougher in yourself. And that's when you're really going to go deep. That's a great but point. if you're able to like, Say, hey, mom, uh, hey, dad, uh, I, I'm sorry if I flexed too much lately because I was making money. Now I've dropped down low and I just want you to know that. And I'm going to work hard towards coming up again. But I just want us to know that together so I'm not alone in this. Like you should always do that. Because if you're completely alone with it and you're lying to people or nobody knows how dire your situation is, that's when you're going to dig a very deep hole for yourself. So be upfront to the people that are closest to you. And let's say, for example, you're in a relationship. Uh, which I was at the time, uh, I was very honest with with my girlfriend about this, and she could see that I wasn't sleeping at night. You know, she would she would like, she would give me a lot of support, and yeah, I felt like less of a man in that moment because like she was giving me emotional support. I was like, fuck, I took on too many financial responsibilities, uh, I've dropped down now, and that was a little bit humiliating as a man. I felt I felt like much less of a man, but I still feel like it was the it was the better option because then I truly could see yeah she loved me for who I am you know and and she she'll be there with me through thick and thin no matter what happens and so even though it was humiliating and, and I felt like less of a man in that moment I felt better after it when I actually gained financial stability again and I could provide her the things that I wanted to provide her as a man it felt better because I know that even if it wasn't there she'd still be with me that's a beautiful point and uh you put it amazingly um uh, and something that we like to touch on as a whole is men's mental health and yeah. how lonely a man can feel, especially when he's got a responsibility or a financial burden um, in terms of his family or his girlfriend or whatever. And, um, you know, what we like to encourage is openness as well and talking to your family r- regarding stuff like this because, it, you know, as much as it may feel like you're losing yourself or your your, your ego goes lower or whatever, um it's much more healthy and I completely agree and I think you're a very resilient and intelligent individual uh, for being able to do that Um, because it's much easier it's much harder than you know just talking it's much harder than what we're saying now you know it's much harder in that situation and in that circumstance it's very difficult to you know go back on yourself and be like mom like listen like you know i can't do this this month you know i can't take you out i'm sorry i can't do that and it's very 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 difficult and you know there's thousands thousands of men that go through this you know at the moment especially in the situation that we are in financially economically in the world and it's 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 a disaster it's disgusting especially for a lot of men you know people are losing themselves people are losing their homes people are losing heat and you know, being that main provider that you could have been three years ago, it's completely different to what it is now. You know, people are paying, you know, crazy amounts for rent in London. London's become a disgusting city to live in. You know, me personally, I want to move up to Manchester. It's not safe. It's not, um, it's not affordable in terms of, even if it was affordable, like as in, as in, even if you're making, let's say 90 grand 
a year, which, you know, is a very nice income in this country, you can still go broke in London very easily, yeah. just like yeah. that, uh, with living a mediocre lifestyle, by the way. You're not, you're not even living like a nice sort of, you know, in London now, you need to make at least 160 a year at least sure. to live a luxury sort of lifestyle sure. and, and have a bit to save or invest yeah, not even in a lot as well. Point, you, you know, even then. Um, and, and you know, how's Milan? How's Milan's financial sort of situation? How do you spend that? I mean, Milan is like the most expensive city in, in Italy. Uh, a lot of Italy is very, very cheap and the salaries are very low. Like if you're making four or 5,000 a month, even in Milan, it's a good salary. Like if you're making 5,000 a month, you're like a doctor or some high level manager, like that's a good salary. And so being young, making like towards 200K a month, even 250K a month sometimes, like that's crazy. And, and I'm not going to share that, not like that, that fact with a lot of people because in Italy, like, yeah, you just don't talk a lot about like money with, with the working class, like, cause that's rude. And, and I really appreciate the working class in, in Italy because they take a lot of pride in what they do. Uh, and that's something I, think is very very valuable because everything we're standing on is built by working men and you know you, you if you drive two hours out of out of milan you go to some random factory that creates some random steel construction like and you talk to the factory workers they know their craft they really care about what they do so that's something i love about italy uh, people care about what they do whereas i think more so here in london also back here in Cob uh, also back in copenhagen my my home city People don't really care about they do a lot of the time, like because they 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 think everything is temporary. They 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 always know that they're moving on to something better soon. Mm -hmm. Like you you'll go to a coffee shop and and uh, you know there'll, there'll be some girl behind the counter and, and you'll ask for, like she'll be like uh, one second one second yeah what do you want <laughs> and then you'll be like uh, yeah a cappuccino a cappuccino uh, okay okay one second uh, this guy just wants a cappuccino one second <laughs> alright there'll be uh, eleven pounds he's like what for a fucking cappuccino you know like and, and yeah, these, yeah. these people they just don't care about their job or providing That's a right. service Italy is so different you know the first time you go to a cafe uh, they'll be like you know who are you what do you want okay then you say a cafe, uh, coffee okay cool one euro it's very cheap right second time you come uh, they'll say oh welcome back good to see you again uh, same as last time uh, yes please one euro Third time you come, they'll be like, what's your first and last name? What does your family do? Where do you live? What's your background? Oh, wow. How are you as a person? They really, really care, right? Wow. And they care about building relationships in their community and around them. It's much more about teamwork when you have a less socialist state and when you're living in a place where the, the state takes care of you less and doesn't provide for you as much, people start working together. The thing with the Danish and, and the Scandinavian political system is on paper, it works very, very well, this egalitarian and socialist society where everyone takes care of, of themselves and if they fail, the, the government will take care of you uh, because uh, there's enough money in, 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 the, in the tax, you know what I mean. Like If, yeah. if you drop down, the, the state will pay for you. Uh, you get paid to, to, to get educated. Uh, and yeah, if you have no job, you'll be paid on a monthly basis. And when you have that, it, it takes the responsibility away from the community because everyone will be fine no matter what. And so you walk past people in the street and they'll be like, fuck you. Uh, you walk into a coffee shop, they'll be like, fuck you, because nobody cares about each other. Nobody says hello to each other uh, because they don't need that teamwork because the state will take care of them regardless. Right? Oh. And so, as I said, when you have a less socialist state uh, where you're taken care of less by the government, people will work more together and there'll be a much higher sense of community and teamwork between the people. And so that's why I love Italy for. That's a very beautiful point. And um, I do see that a lot in, for example, I'm Iranian as well, so I see that a lot in my... Uh, country as well uh that amazing point yeah in, in london the the culture i agree absolutely it's very Talks. temporary people talk a lot um badly 
as in in a negative way everything is temporary and a lot of it sander comes from um as an outsider uh looking in um to sort of people from london i i moved here uh, about 8 months ago and I, i was always in fascination of london i always wanted to be in london etc but uh, as someone who's come now i see that uh, more time it's an entitlement entitlement issue sure. So when people are spending, you know, when people are in central London and they're, and they're spending, you know, three grand a month on a little box in, you know, zone three or zone four, they're absolutely going to be entitled to, you know, their 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 mind is going to be entitled. Oh, this is my city. I'm 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 above you for living here. You know what I'm saying? And everyone has this argument between each other, and everyone has a situation where it's like everyone's divided right now. Um, for example, clubs right now. We we touched on it earlier, but. I think you know. I don't know if you've ever been clubbing in Mayfair. Uh, I, I've been a few times now, and as someone who never really, you know, indulged in a more luxury mm. clubbing experience before, this, it was my first time clubbing. You know, I went to a little shitty club in an old city that I used to live in, yeah. and then I went to this one here, and I swear to you, I had more fun in that one than this yeah, one. Yeah, of course, I understand that. It, it was just popping bottles. I got this table, you got that table. Yeah. Your table shitty than my yeah, table. Yeah. It, it's, it's so primal, and that sort of level of entitlement is so primal. Like you will have, like I, the other day in Paris, I spent like for dinner, I spent more than two grand, right? Like on a single dinner, I could have been a lot more if I had, you know, gotten expensive champagne. But we were just eating and drinking some cocktails. It was two grand. That's a lot for for a dinner. Some people, if they spend that kind of money on a dinner, they, they'll believe that now they're entitled to treat the waiter like shit or with disrespect and be like, yeah, oh, I want this, this and this. They'll be like, okay, I'm spending 2K on a dinner, so now I, I can afford myself or I'm entitled to act like a, like a retard. Mm, yeah. Why would you think that? I'll treat the waiter with the same amount of respect if I'm paying a, for a five-pound kebab or if I'm paying for a $2,000 uh, dinner uh, in some fancy restaurant. Like, treat people with respect regardless and that sort of entitlement or who can pop more bottles... It's so primal. It's so boring. This summer I was in uh, in Saint Tropez in, uh, in the south of France. I had a five thousand five thousand five hundred uh, euro lunch. Uh, that's a lot of money for a lunch, right? But granted, we had like a Magnum Cristal, a Magnum Dom Perignon, and it was very expensive. But like I think at at that sort of lunch restaurant, even though we four people, uh, we were three guys and one girl actually. But then there came a lot of girls. I was with my friends. Uh, a lot of girls came afterwards. Um, but but. Even though we spent five point five on a on a lunch, I think we were the table there that spent the least. Like the table next to us probably spent thirty thousand on that lunch because they had so many bottles, and it was really that sort of whose dick is the smallest, but whose wallet is the biggest. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like so primal, and it's yeah. it's so ugly, it's so disgusting seeing these. We're talking like forty five, fifty year old dudes with twenty year old girls spending that much money to like make their dick longer, you know, and mm. treating the waiters like shit. So embarrassing to look it's at. It's very embarrassing. It's very embarrassing, and then it's so fun because you know act with class, and and the good women will come to you. It was so fun when that restaurant started closing down. Like the lunch started probably around one p.m. Uh, and started closing down around six p.m. So it was like a five-hour dancing and eating and drinking, very fun. When the when the club started to close down around six or seven p.m., everyone was sort of exiting the club very slowly, starting to network with the other tables. Uh, I was outside, uh, right outside the 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 entrance, talking with my friend, and it's so fun because. The people that were on the table next to us it was like two older men, and then six very very beautiful young girls, and uh, one of the girls from the table like she's like, oh, uh, where are you from? You look so sweet, or you look so handsome, or whatever. She said something like that, and I'm like, 
oh thanks i'm from copenhagen uh and and then one of the guys from the table is like oh yeah you guys you you look like you know what you're doing or like what are you working with how do you make this money to be here or something like polite guy and then the guy who probably had fronted the table and paid 30 grand for the girls and for the yeah. table and everything he just was like oh, why are you guys talking to a kid you know and that's mm. really sort of this entitled guy who's like wants authority and leverage because he spent 30k on a table Yeah. Bro, that's so embarrassing. Like, yeah. take it with honor. Yeah, you're able to spend 30k on on a table, but treat people with respect regardless. And uh, yeah, it was just so funny because oh. I could see all the girls at at the table. They would rather fuck me than they would fuck him, obviously. <laughs> but he got so butt hurt. And if yeah. he had treated me with respect, I would have treated him nicely, and I would probably have made a nice comment about him that would have made the girls more into him. But because he said that, I was like, yeah. you know, I just said something along the lines of, bro, you know that all these girls would rather fuck me than you, but have a good one, you know, like something like that. You know, I, I didn't care about him. But um, and and his ma- and his masculinity difference with you shows there as well. And women, women fucking hate people that talk shit. One thing I find common with women is the most emasculine sort of thing to do you could do around a woman is talking shit about someone and yeah, talking shit bro. about another. That's the most ugly thing. I, I personally, I find gossip so ugly yeah. as a man shows so much insecurity I think uh, gossiping not as in gossip but talking bad about someone who's genuinely shown a negative trait which is not to be confused with gossip um, which I, I find it's confused very often for example if a friend if a mutual friend of me and Hermes for example um, does something wrong or acts very inappropriately in front of me I won't go in front of a girl and be like, oh, did you see that guy? Because that's ugly as shit. But I will, when I'm private with him, I'll be like, listen, did you see the way he was doing that? Like, yeah, sure. I, I, we shouldn't fuck around this like, guy. Like, what's he doing there? You know what I'm saying? So, you know, there's a big difference between these two things that women don't understand. Um, the difference. Um, anyway, let's let's go on. Uh, you know, we, we've, talking, we've spoken about old money. We've talked about new money. I want to uh, touch on, you know, do you, as as someone who's in touch with older money, and as as someone who's who's speaking to people with, you know, very high net worths every day, uh, do you believe that there is some sort of higher power, some sort of soul selling in a way, some sort of uh you know and, and the way I, i i can word this is is difficult because i was talking about this there's not enough words in the english vocabulary that you know i speak another language thankfully so when i'm talking with my friend i can, I can uh who's who also understands my language yeah. i can i can talk in another language and it explains i'm sure you understand what i mean um but there's not enough words to describe what i'm talking about but in terms of a sort of secret society or, or somewhere some something that yeah higher net worth individuals know yeah that lower people don't yeah yeah absolutely do now i I can't say what these things are uh because i don't know about a lot of them there are a lot of things and intuitions that i have having been in touch with all the money or talk to these people with all the money like yeah you, you definitely get the sense that uh that there's so much you don't know and and it's by all means the truth like take the the c19 scandal like People just don't realize who were making money off of this and, and the things that go behind the scenes, go on behind the scenes and the lobbying that goes on behind the scenes and who's taking the money in the pocket. It's it's such a clear scheme, honestly. Like you take, for example, uh, the USO. I'm, I'm a big tennis fan, right? Like just to, to, to give a very sort of simple example that people will understand. I'm a big tennis fan. 
uh, the, the the number one tennis player in the world, Novak Djokovic, has never gotten uh, VXed, right? Uh, and he wasn't allowed to to play at the U.S. Open uh, this year. Guess who was uh, the main sponsor of the event? Moderna, which is one of the biggest producers of the C19 uh, VX, you know. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, you think that's a coincidence that he can't play at that tournament and then they're the main sponsor of the tournament? Obviously not. And so obviously that's a very sort of surface level example, but like we could go so much into the depths of it. Uh, thankfully, I've never been VX, and I'm Me very, too. very happy about yeah. that. That I don't have that, and it's not even that I don't have that in my body. It's it's more sort of the the fact that nobody told me what to put in my body so i'm very happy that i haven't been vxed um but just like looking at the trajectory of things uh the the, the people that set forth the boundaries and rules and the regulations for how governments should control people during uh sort of the, the rise of, of of c19 who was putting forth the regulations and who was making money from the vx there was a big like uh, a big connection here and the fact that People don't even question the fact that the WHO is privately funded and that people who are privately funding the, the WHO who set forth the regulations, uh, which which uh, to, a, to a large extent uh, dictated how governments around the world uh, set the regulations for C, um, C19. The fact that people don't question the fact that that's privately funded and a lot of the same people that privately funded that stood to make a lot of profit from C19 uh, VX is is flabbergasting to me like that they don't see any connection or they see any disconnect there it's is very scary and then the fact that uh yeah everyone obviously could predict that there would be a recession on the back of this and 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 now all the people that that profit off of this yeah they'll they'll also profit off of the fact that there's a recession because now they can buy everything once again absolutely it's just crazy that people don't even think on that level and it was the most beautiful money-making opportunity back then you'll still go back i think the most fascinating Besides that point, I think the more absolutely crazy point to me, uh, which you, if you really look into, you understand like what the fuck is the fact that while we were over here in the West, absolutely fucked in terms of you know yeah. finances, everything. The place where the actual um, V C one nine started. Yeah. Everyone was chilling. Everyone yeah. was calm. There was no more deaths. Everyone was cool. Yeah. And they and and the 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 government over there in in China never spoke about it. They never they never said you know they they never said we use these lockdown measures that yeah. you know they, they're something bad. And it is absolutely crazy to me how everyone's just oblivious to the fact that China's e- economy yeah. now tripled, doubled. I don't, yeah. I don't know what the exact metrics are, but while we here. The the pound has gotten so weak where the pound and the dollar is like imagine a world where the pound will be weaker than the dollar like even try and imagine that while we here are struggling against each other's uh, each other and we've become so divided over there they've become united they're chilling they've made so much nice money they've they've made easy money with the vaccine the test strips that the UK government bought millions of Sander and gave out for free with the NHS. You will see on the packaging every single one says made in China. Mm. Every single one. There's not one, you know, test strip that isn't made in China that was given out for free by the government. Not only was the UK government giving money to China during this whole period for vaccines, for research, they were handing them every sort of opportunity to fuck up their own 
um, half of the world. Yeah, and um, it, it, it's a it's a crazy, crazy sort of you know, as you mentioned, it, it's crazy to me how people are so oblivious to this and so oblivious how the government has controlled us. Um, the problem is for me personally, I, I don't talk about controversial topics like this that much, purely because whatever I say, it won't change anything. And that's that's the sort of conclusion I've come to, and I'm sure you've come to as well. Yeah. Whatever we say, it just we can't do anything about it. We can talk about it, we can raise awareness about it, but in the end, what's that going to do? It's going to deplatform us. Yeah, probably. It's going to censor us. Yeah. And 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 I don't believe in you know. Yeah. Stuff like that, but it, it it gives us less chance of success. Yeah, sure. I mean, call me egoistic for this, uh, but I mean, what C19 and and this whole scandal showed me more than anything is that. Uh, people around us are incredibly oblivious to the f- to to the apparent facts. At least for me, uh, and and to a certain extent, they're quite stupid, and I can't change that. And so, one of the things I want to do now is move to the country as far away from everyone as possible because I don't want to be in the city surrounded by that stupidity and that propaganda and people that are that easy to be brainwashed every day. Why would I be around that? Why would I have to listen to stupid people that are easily brainwashed by propaganda and the government? Why would I have to listen to their opinions when they're clearly so oblivious to what's actually going on? I want to get away from that. I always, as a kid, you know, in history lessons, was really questioning and, and not understanding the fact of how, for example, Hitler of the German government was able to brainwash an entire population into wanting to kill a certain group of people. I was, I was always like, how is that possible? That could never repeat itself. And what C19 showed me more than anything is the fact that that can absolutely repeat yeah. itself. Because how easy it was to to brainwash people into thinking that a simple flu would kill all of us, and how easy it was to to convince everybody that it was a good idea idea to destroy the economy, destroy businesses built on foundations, and destroy everyone's life for one or two years because of a flu. How easy it was to brainwash people to do that. When I saw that, I was like, Ah, okay, that's probably how easy it was to for Hitler to brainwash the the, the German uh, population into wanting to kill a certain amount of uh, a certain group of people. It's the same thing. And so these things, I have no doubt, will repeat themselves. Uh, people have proven themselves once again to be that gullible and that easily to, to brainwash. Absolutely. And another key point is this isn't a secret. The CIA has thousands of leaked documents now showing their um, intelligence during, for example, the 1979 Iranian Revolution, where their employees... There are 55 employees in the embassy. Uh, sorry, I talk of what I know. The, there are 55 employees of their um, embassy in Iran were taken hostage for months. And a whole propaganda campaign was created against Iran from the United States because Iranians had held their people hostage. But what you actually realize when you delve deeper into it, and now that the CIA documents have been released because they're like, okay, it happened 30 years ago, no one gives a shit anymore. Mm. What you realize is they have documents that say, our aim, our absolute goal was to cause a revolution and cause um, mass dislike towards the Iranian public. Yeah. And that that's not just one example. There's, you know, there's a certain quote, I think it was Ronald Reagan, uh, no, it was Nixon, who started the war on drugs. And he his uh, health secretary at the time said, uh, if you tell a lie long enough... Um, I don't I don't exactly quote me on this. It was like if you tell a lie long enough and keep rejecting it for long enough, there is no way that people won't believe it. Yeah. Um and that's their main sort of strategy at, at everything. And um there's so many things that we so widely believe um 
you know, for example, this this fucking piece of shit that we're drinking right here. You know, there's so much disgusting things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the thing is, we can act oblivious. Yeah, yeah. It's but it's funny. Like people will just always feel some sort of privilege or feel like uh, they're in, on the right side of 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 nations or on the right team. Like we here in the West. I, I hear people talk every day about, oh, I feel so sorry for Russians because they're being brainwashed with the propaganda of the Russian regime. I'm just like, yeah, I also feel sorry for them. But you don't you don't think that we're being brainwashed and then we don't have propaganda here in the <laughs> West? Who are you kidding? Like, just look at the amount of movies that have been produced in the last 30, 40, 50 years that are romanticizing the American war industry in this, during the Second World War. Like how sexy they made World War Two on the American side. Look in all those movies, Absolutely. and like movies with Brad Pitt and you know, you, like uh, beautiful actors, love, cigarettes, thing mm-hmm. that things that look is like extremely aesthetically yeah. pleasing, and they're just romanticizing a war industry at the end of the day, and people are just oblivious to the fact that it's like propaganda, and mm-hmm. and the fact that the U.S. government ever since World War Two has made such an incredible amount of money from warfare and from the production of weapons. And support packages. And the U.S. got fucked in that war. You know what you're saying is is amazing. Yeah, the 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 propaganda that the U.S. government made it's not that distant from what Hitler was doing back in the day. Yeah, or what Germans. what we're experiencing in Russia now. Like you have like people that live in the countryside in Russia, they absolutely support Putin and everything that he's doing right now. They think that they're on the right side and they have every right to to create war and to do the things that they're doing right now. And he, we here in the rest are like uh, in West are like uh, we're sorry for them because of the propaganda they're under. And sure, they are, to my knowledge, under much more propaganda and they're much more brainwashed than we are. But for us to think that we're not under propaganda, that mm. we haven't been brainwashed, you would have to be incredibly naive to have that sort of point of view or stance politically. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure they feel content with themselves just as much as we do. You know, yeah. they, they, they. I'm sure they feel like we're there in the right as much as we do. Um, let's get into some more money questions this is a money podcast we've gone a bit off topic but i think we've got enough footage to fill up the tiktoks on your page um because i'm sure people are watching this hungry young individuals that want to grow in their sort of financial levels um you know there's a lot of questions we could ask about this do you have any questions yeah yeah if for example the not majority but the, the the kids the young the young people who are watching this and see people like us three and want to live a lifestyle and hear all the cool stuff we do do you, we all dabble in smma what would you what should someone like them start look at smma should they you know there's so many different avenues what would you do if you almost had nothing or if you were that person what yeah. should i think that the sma business model or let's just call it the agency business model is yeah. very very nice because it's built on like a, a consulting centered business model and what that means is you have very little backend to to manage and you have no expenses and so what you make is almost 100 percent profit and the service delivery is just not that difficult i mean the 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 people that a lot the, the reason that a lot more people are swayed towards something like drop shipping is because they don't need the face on their business they don't need to physically attend meetings or to you know personally talk to clients and they can do everything behind the screen but what those people just you know, fail to realize or what they actually are overlooking is the fact that the amount of expenses you have with a business model like dropshipping, very high. And yeah. the amount of back-end logistics that you have and the things you need to manage, it's it's very vast and people just fail to understand that. And so, yeah, you might have to personally talk to clients or be physically present when you're running an agency. 
but the, the business model, the structure, it's a lot more simple and the profit margins are five times higher. Uh, so it's just a lot more fun to run. So yeah, definitely if there are young entrepreneurs out there, I would recommend them get into the agency or the consulting sort of uh, structured business model. Uh, it's a lot more fun and you can get to like, if you like for a lot of people, like their initial goal will be making five, 10 grand a month. That's super, super achievable with the agency business model in a very short amount of time. You just need a couple of clients to achieve that state. Uh, so I would definitely recommend them to go into the agency business model much more so than, let's say, something like dropshipping. Amazing. And, and not just that, uh, you, you mentioned about the back end um, being a lot less. We've obviously tried dropshipping, pardon me, sorry. We've obviously tried dropshipping in our in our sort of uh, you know times, yeah. you know, making our money, whatever. Um, and a common you know situation not just on fulfilling part whatever it's customer support it's people emailing you yeah, every crazy. single day uh, so much back payment everything and when you leave that all to the guy that's paying you oh my god your head feels so much better and you also realize you know me me and uh Hermes indulge in a lot of nft and crypto marketing and we both know how bad those situations get sometimes when yeah. it comes to a coin doing wrong or badly or an nft doing badly and sometimes I I'd, I'd text them as I'd be like, fucking, I'm so happy I was behind this. I wasn't I wasn't in the front of this or I wasn't running this. I'm just someone that was helping the market. Yeah, it's so much peace of mind having streamlined and lean business model. Like, let me give you an example. Again, this summer when I was in Saint-Tropez, I was on a yacht. Okay, I was paying maybe 8,000 a day for this yacht. That's expensive, right? But this is not a very big yacht. This is a, in the big picture, a relatively small yacht compared to the yachts that are in Saint-Tropez. Like, you'll have yachts that are worth two, three, hundred million right like extremely large and beautiful yachts and so i'm standing there on my small eight thousand euro a day yacht uh with a couple girls having the time of my life and i'm standing on the back and i'm looking at this yacht which is probably 20 times bigger than mine i know it's worth two three hundred million and i know that there's some big ceo on this yacht but you know then i think on a deeper level and I think to myself, I'm probably in a better state of life and in a better state of mind than that guy is right now. My yacht, my yacht might be 20 times smaller, but my girl is just as beautiful as his and he has a lot more responsibility on his shoulders. And to get a 300 million euro yacht, you probably had to do some fucked up things unless you were a brilliant genius and you sold your software company or tech startup for a billion. Like I know for a fact that a lot of these people on these 100 million euro yachts around Santope, they're very corrupt people. They could be corrupt government people. They could be people that are white whitewashing money. Like they you know 80% of them are people mm. that are, you know, somehow involved in illegal activity. And so I look around all these yachts that are 10, 20 times bigger than mine with 100 girls on them. And I'm not envious of that business owner or the owner of that yacht because I'm no, I'm, I'm in a better state of mind right now. This is all I need. I don't need a bigger yacht than this. Why would I need that? I have beautiful girls on board. I have booze. I have drugs. You know <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, to, yeah. To, to, to sugarcoat oh, yeah. it. I'm having fun. I'm having just as much fun as that guy. So I'm not envious of him. That's a great point. That's a, and I also wanted to touch on that. Um, as we, you know, come from little... And as you're growing up, sort of, you know, I know, I know certain kids on estates, etc. And whenever they see money, they think illegal, illegal, whatever. Um, and as I'm growing in terms of mind and growing in terms of worth and growing in terms of people that I see, I also come to the conclusion that money, an ethical source of money, um, in terms of large volumes yeah. of it, and we're talking 200, 300 million, unless selling your startup or selling your software company is 
almost impossible in this current market without some level of corruption uh, without some yeah. level of corruption Absolutely. without some level of uh, illegal activity and, and people don't understand that uh, you yeah, know. They don't. yeah they don't so again if you see that big guy that bald guy on his 200 euro a uh, 200 million euro yacht don't be envious of him because i'm telling you that guy is probably 10 times more depressed than you are because of the responsibility and the unethical things he's done like he should be feeling bad as a person and if he doesn't about the illegal activities and the people he's hurt if he doesn't feel bad about that and if he's living a blissful life you should still feel sorry for him because that makes him a very narcissistic person who has a warped state of mind in this world that we're living in and that's never a person that you should be envious of so if you can get your you know if you can afford a, a small yacht for five to ten thousand a month uh, for five to ten thousand a day you're still making good money and you should be very content with your situation as long as you have beautiful and ethical girls on board that's a great way to put it yeah no um having a, a peace of mind is, is much more value valuable than money and, and we talk about this a lot as well yeah. it's, it's much more valuable and people will never understand that uh metric well and, yeah before you say that going back to smma and the the younger people watching who haven't dabbled in smma we get this question quite a lot in the chat like the younger kids are like oh well well how do i i'm 15 how do i go up to a 30 year old man running a X yeah. company how do I talk they're, they're not going to give me 5,000 a month to, to do this how, how, what's the, you started young so how would you what would you tell them yeah I mean as I said I signed my first client when I just turned 17 on a $5,400 contract walking out of that office with sort of that you know piece of signed paper in my hand and knowing that I was about to receive that transfer uh, of quite a few thousand having just turned 17 it was a crazy feeling and so yeah people will ask me like how could you do that at such a young age or they'll say oh now I'm the same age as you were when you started how did you have confidence going into that meeting how can I talk to a 30 35 40 year old business owner and how will he respect me as a person how can he pay me that money to deliver that service and my response usually is maybe a little bit pessimistic but the fact is if you're having that doubt then you may not be mature enough to sign that that deal mm. Because if you're having that doubt, then you're probably still in in the mindset of a child. And then you shouldn't be able to charge that amount of money. But if you are 16 or 17 like I was, and you feel ready for that meeting, and you feel like you're developed enough and you have the skills required to demand that sort of money, then it wouldn't be a problem for you. I was never asked, not once, about my age in that meeting because I was able to talk with authority and because I had the skill set that I was selling. And so if you have the skill set that you're selling, if you feel mature, then your, your age, age doesn't is a matter. selling point at that point as well. It, it's yeah. A, yeah, people yeah. are impressed by that as well. Yeah, it is. Also, I think one argument I sort of used would be like I said something like, yeah, I know I'm a 